What up, everybody? It's your boy, Nick Caputo. Welcome back to the Grub from the Garden podcast. This is oh, uh, this is episode three. I'm here with my boy, Wallace, and we have a lot of interesting information. I don't really like the word interesting. Intriguing information, not into resting. Intriguing information to share with you guys. We're going to be doing multiple episodes um, on a decent amount of different topics so we wanted to dedicate one specific episode to just sharing our background so you guys can get a sense of who we are. So when we present this information, you guys have a better understanding of who we are and where we're coming from with this information. And also for me, I just feel it necessary that I share my background on this podcast as well, because I haven't done that yet. So welcome, Wallace. So where are you where are you at right now? Right now, I'm in San Cristobal de las Casas. I arrived here from Guatemala. I was in Guatemala for five months. And before that, I was two months in Nicaragua. And before that, I was in Canada. But I felt like it was coming to a prison slowly but surely. So I wanted to escape. So I just disconnect from the matrix. And now I have no plan to go back in Canada. Nice. Yeah, I'm currently in the DR. As usual, yeah. chilling out. Yeah. Hilo. Yeah, awesome. All right. So yeah, let's let's dive. Let's dive from the moment that your soul entered this body, uh, and then the door opened up to you, and you entered that beautiful world. Where are you born, and how did did that Nick Caputo uh, avatar uh, start in this world? All right. So I. I incarnated in this avatar that other people refer to as Nick Caputo, in, um, which is not me. It's my vehicle. I, I, I started driving this car. Yeah, it's a nice car, man. In 1997. Yeah. Uh, in, wow. in Belleville, New Jersey. So it was uh, July 27th, 1997, 727, 97, a quarter to seven in the morning. And we... Uh, yeah, since then, uh, I don't I don't really remember too much about the first couple of years, but then uh, I was uh, one of those kids who was not very fond of eating, and this is something that affected me at a very very young age. I started getting like serious acid reflux from any foods, basically like at like three years old, like as a kid, like super super young. Um, I was never breastfed, so I was only fed like that bullshit baby formula bullshit. Yep. Um, <sighs> Yeah. So no breastfeeding for me. Do you know why? My mom didn't want to. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know. Um, my mom is still very plugged into the matrix idea of things yep. um, and just didn't want to go through the process, I guess. And then um, for my other siblings, she ended up getting implants. So she couldn't breastfeed my other two siblings. Um, but I mean, you know, there's no there's no hate. It is what it is. You know, the yep. flip happened the way that it was. Would have been great if I had been breastfed, but you know, <laughs> I didn't get to download that self-sustainability software right off rip. Yeah. But, I don't uh, remember the taste either. So yeah, it is what it is. Like there's pictures of like, you know, my, like me trying to be fed and like throwing shit off the table as a baby. Um, like oh. not, not wanting food, like literally like, yeah. Um, and then around the age of three, according to my parents, I just like stopped eating. Like I wouldn't eat. And wow. like intuitively, I just didn't want to eat. 
And then there were certain things that like, I would eat something and it would give me heartburn and I just wouldn't want to eat it ever again. So I kind of developed this kind of like almost fear for food. I was like, I was just super intuitive and realized that like every time that I would eat something, I wouldn't feel good. And if I didn't eat, I never didn't feel good. So like I developed kind of an intuitive understanding at a very young age, like probably conceptualized it to myself around six or seven years old that like, I don't really fuck with food. Like I really don't like to eat. And everybody thought I was crazy when I did eat. It was only very specific things. And my mom had to make it a very specific way in order for me to feel like it was safe for me to consume. Um, yeah. and he, like I would never eat out. My family would go out to dinner with other families and our friends and whatever. And I wouldn't eat. And I got uh-huh. used, I got used to being the one person who didn't eat around people who would eat. So like, you know, the waitress would go around and ask everybody what they're eating and he would get to me. <laughs> I'd be like, I'm not eating. And you know, that she'd be like, you're not eating anything, honey. And I'm like, no, I'm not eating. And they'd go to my parents, like, he's not going to eat anything. And they're like, no, he doesn't really eat. And yeah, uh, the big drama. Every, everybody's like, he's not going to eat. Like, and I'm like, I'm not hungry. Like, what do you guys mean? Like, what the fuck? So, yeah. So I was so used to that, like over time, like, and I mean, it affected me in different ways. Like I, you know, over the years started to think that there was something wrong with me that everyone else was normal. Why does everybody else like food? And I don't um, type type thoughts, but at the same yeah. time, like my intellect was always very noticeably different than everyone around me. Um, and it almost was triggering to a lot of people, um, mm. especially my parents growing up, like, especially my dad, like when we would talk and I would challenge him in different ways intellectually, he would get super triggered and like mad because of how young I was being able to challenge him like that. And he would, he would get mad. And now looking back on it, we laugh about it. He was like, I really just couldn't believe that you would say things that you would say at like fucking like, you know, this kid's 12 years old. Like, what the fuck? How does he (laughs) like, you know what I mean? Like, how did you call me out like that? Like, yes, shit like that. But I mean, in general, like it was just like that. And I was a very small, like physically small kid. So like, I mean, my avatar was not very large compared to other people's (laughs) avatars. So I actually did end up eventually believing the kind of concept of that I need to eat to grow. You know, I'm not, I'm not growing because I'm not eating. Now I really attribute this to the fact that I wasn't breastfed and that's why I was small and I was just fed and I was eating poison that wasn't nourishing at all. I never ate a fruit really my whole life until I was like 18, 19 years old and it was blueberries and cantaloupe at first. But I mean, other than like very occasionally, my mom would feed me little pieces of cantaloupe or something as a baby. Yeah. Yeah. Um, other than that, no fruit really never ate berries or like anything until I was like out of high school pretty much. Um, so yeah, all I would eat was just starch. Like I, I, I used to eat this like <laughs> pasta when I was, oh, a kid, I, I used to watch, when I was like really, really young, I used to watch this show called the land before time about like dinosaurs, like, you know, the imaginary <laughs> things that they, that they say are the huge yeah. human bones that they find. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so that show they used to eat like the leaves and they call them tree stars it was like the leaves in the shape of a star and they like used to love the special leaves that they call tree stars in the show so i used to always tell my mom like i want tree stars i want tree stars i'm only eating tree stars and instead of my mom giving me some kind of lettuce or some kind of like greens like she gave me spinach pasta so i would just eat <laughs> i would because we were italian it's all pasta so yeah I would just eat like mad green pasta, just like plain, oh, yeah. with my hands, like for mad like years. I ate that shit. 
It was like the only thing I would eat for so long and only like a couple other very specific foods. Um, and then over time, you know, I, I really thought that like I was malnourished and I was like, I, you know, there would come times where like, and I experienced this even like to this day still with foods, like where um, I like a specific thing and I really only eat that specific, like I'm a very mono meal kind of person. Like I like one thing and I'm obsessed with it for weeks and then yep. I get bored of it and I don't like anything. And I'm like, I'm, I don't like any food anymore. Like, so <laughs> as a kid, I used to be like, all right, I'm sick of this pasta. Like I, yeah. I honestly can't eat it. Like I'm going to starve. What do I do? And I wouldn't yeah. eat. So I would go through periods of eating and I would eat and I would feel like shit. And I like really would be completely turned off to food. Like I would be eating and be like, I can't eat this. Like I'm done. Like I'm, I can't eat. And then I wouldn't want to eat again for days. My body would just intuitively want to just not eat until it was all out of me. And then I would want it again or, you know, until I could, I could, I could want it again. Uh -huh. um, and I never understood why other people weren't like that. And I'm still like that to this day. Um, yes. Even like, you know, once I, when, if I eat for like a period of time, I get over the food like super fast. And I'm like, I, I like, I, I'm off this shit. Like, I don't like food anymore. And then, like even with the, I see now like green juice, uh, do you think like you'll do green juice for a couple of weeks and then no more? Um, I mean, we'll see. I, my goal is to do at least a year now on liquids. Um, that's, that's my next goal is, is to really mm, just hit a year. Yeah. Today's day 16 and I feel great. Um, well done. Man. I'm over wow. the hump pretty much of the, of the initial shit. I, I did an experiment with myself that, uh, and this is very, very recent that, I did to pretty much just prove a point about yep. Dr. Sebi's list about how the yep. food on Dr. Sebi's list are not healthy. Um, yep. and that, you know, I'm not saying that like, you know, watermelon on Dr. Sebi's list isn't healthy or like certain fucking like, no, 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 aren't healthy. but like in general, a lot of the stuff like cooking with oils and spells yeah. and quinoa and amaranth and a lot of these grain dry food type shit and oils are not good. Yeah. Right. And what I did was I ate these things for, yeah. it was supposed to be for 10 days. I was going for two weeks and I couldn't, I couldn't do it anymore after 10 days. And then wow. from there, like, <laughs> yeah. And then after that, like I, I gained like 20 pounds, dude, it was crazy. And then I went back to Jersey and then I just fell back into the same foods. I kept eating them again. After I, after I had a couple of days off, I did a six day fast right before I left for the, for New Jersey. Yeah. And then right when I got back to Jersey, I was like, I want chemo again. And I just kept like fucking eating. And I, I did like a good month and a half of eating like shit, like the Dr. Sebi yeah. foods, um, because they're, it's a slippery slope. They're addictive as yes. well. Oh, and that I can like relate so much. And yeah. And now since I've been back to the DR, I'm obviously off that again because I was sick of it. I felt like shit. I've literally, yeah. did, I was, my natural body weight is somewhere between like 113 and 118, something okay. like that. That's like a regular weight for me. And yeah. at 5'11". And I was about 135, 140 when I got back to the DR from Jersey. Um, and I didn't really look that much bigger, but it was literally just like my lower abs. Like yep. I still had my <laughs> upper abs, but my lower abs just had that like pouch that people get. Um, and I've never <laughs> had that in my life. But yeah, months on Dr. Sebi Foods gave me a pouch. And wow. 
like like we've talked about i did that 90 day fast and then at, like at towards the end of that 90 day fast was urine until i stopped peeing and then was dry for 15 days that's the longest dry i've ever done it was at the end of that 90 day juice fast Whoa. so that was like when i really experienced the breatharian state which is really why i want to go even deeper now and now yeah. I'm from liquids being my fallback going into the urine and the dry or the breath and then falling yep. back into the green juice and the eventually fruit juices once i pass the 30 day mark so in two weeks i'm going to start doing fruit juices too um Man, you're a beast. yeah so the thing is is when I got back um, on the liquids, and especially once I did that chug your age challenge, I shit out a tapeworm that was probably like 10 inches long. I posted a picture of it. Seriously. Yeah, I sent you a message like, what the fuck? Yeah, that? now a worm like that is not, it doesn't grow in you overnight like that. It doesn't crawl up your ass while you're sleeping. It doesn't, it doesn't crawl in your nose while you're sleeping. You, it grows in you from larvae. Like literally from no nothing, it grows in you from nothing. You create the environment, an acidic environment, when the pH is imbalanced on the male side of chemistry, on the acid side of chemistry, yeah. you manifest worms. The body will make the worm in order to decay the stagnant life force on the acid side of chemistry. Now, this worm, in order for it to grow that long, it has to be in you for years. I've probably had that worm in me since I was about 10 years old, realistically. Holy shit. And if so that, this have, is a worm that grew from the pasta. Yeah, basically. If, if <laughs> straight up. So like if I have worms and I never ate an animal in my whole life to this day, yeah. wow. never ate, never ate meat, never will never ate an animal. Um, I ate cheese, but I never mm -hmm. ate, I never ate meat. I yeah, drank, I drank whole milk and I drank, you know, I, I ate, I ate cheese with my pasta, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I never ate animals. So like for those of you who eat animals, like, you got, Imagine. you got worms bigger than mine. Like, think about if you leave meat on the counter in the heat, the maggots, yes. grow, right? Oh, if you leave maggots. Yes. In, so those maggots are growing in that meat inside of your body. And then those yes. maggots grow into full ass worms after 20 wow. years. And they live inside your intestines and they eat the decaying flesh inside your yes. intestines. So yeah, so that, that worm, and I never ate meat and I, I was just a starch eater. Um, yep. and last, I'm like four or five years into my fruitarian breatharian journey. And I still had a worm like that in me after years on this process. And I've shit out worms before, but this is the biggest one I've ever gotten out of. Yeah, me. that's that's crazy. Because when I saw that, I just start to ask myself, like, what's inside of me? Because I look at you and I see like all your progress. And I know that you're like two, three, ten step ahead of me. So I'm like, holy shit, man, I can't wait for those those guys to come out. But yeah, uh, I cool. think I think I think we went a little bit off route right now. You need to get back into your we did. we did yeah last thing i want to say though is that um i i shit out about four to five feet so far of mucoid plaque rope what uh-huh i have pictures of all of it i've been taking pictures every single day all this mucoid plaque ropes of spiral staircase <laughs> and when i finished that fast i didn't i was empty like i was empty as empty could be. I could suck in all the fucking way and feel yeah. each individual organ under mm -hmm. my ribs. Like, yeah, yeah. I could feel what my stomach was. I could feel the liver. I could feel ex like literally what my organs were. Like I was empty as a motherfucker. That's and, the 90 days. Yeah, the 90 day one. And I did not have five feet of mucoid plaque in me. That was not built up from my whole life. It definitely was not. It was built up from two months of eating Dr. Sebi food. Holy shit. So, okay, this is why. I, whoa. 
reason why I wanted to mention this was because it just shows how starch and these foods can build up in you so fast when you're not conscious of the breath and you're overeating shitty food. Even if it's, even if it's Dr. Sebi shitty food, I was never big on oils and I was never big on salt. I never really ate salt my whole life unless it was like in the cheese or something. But other than that, like I never put salt on things. And Mm -hmm. since I did the Dr. Sebi stuff, I was putting salt on things because I was trying to prove how salt is not good because it's on the list. And salt is the most dangerous drug on earth. I don't care what anybody says. Like it's one, it's up there with sugar as one of the worst things ever. Um, literally bro. Um, it's, it's really bad. And I, (laughs) I attribute the salt and the grains, the dry, the dry stuff, but really the salt and the oils to the accumulation of that mucoid plaque rope. Interesting. And chugging my aged stimulated it all get coming out. So chugging the aged urine, it was six month aged urine. I drank three, I drank three 12 ounce jars in a row, like right, like one yeah. filled up the jar, drank another yeah, one. I saw it. I was like, man, he's, he's on a roll. Yeah, I was on a fucking mission because I knew I had to get shit out of me. Um, there's other ways people do it. People do like yep. musk and bentonite clay. People do diatomaceous earth. People do um, lots of like herbal tea yeah um to get mucoid plaque out there's a bunch of different but you, re- you really feel like that old uh, or that uh major urine help get it out it's not yeah, the juice it's, it's one of many things that works i've okay. seen that the aged urine works or the mature urine works a lot better than those other things for the parasites for killing worms okay. when you get a worm out you're a whole different person it's like a whole part of your programming, like the, the hacker that was in your system. You yeah, know, I was about to say that. Oh, That's a hack. Yeah. You feel completely different. Like now, like after after getting that worm out, I, I always do this after I get rid of worms. I, I go to see what that worm was making me crave by going back and smelling all foods that I used to eat. So, wow. so I made quinoa and I smelled it and I was completely turned off. And I was like, I don't even want this. So That's then, the download that was out, the, the virus. Yep. I was like, whatever the starch, what it wanted, whatever starch that is in that shit. And like the nuts, the nuts uh-huh. for me anymore. So I was just like, fuck it. Like okay. that's that one mm-hmm. liked those things. Yes. Um, same with like pasta. I didn't I mean, I didn't make pasta to test it. I, I tested it with quinoa, but still um, threw the whole thing out. Didn't even want it. And, now and I mean, where, where did the, because now you're like uh, telling me that this now moment, what happened really recently, but how did you disconnect from the matrix and what made you think to like, let's go and disconnect from the matrix? Yeah. So let's take, let's take a couple yeah. steps back. Yeah. Um, so throughout that uh, journey as a young kid, I um, was, was like I said, really small and yeah. definitely it affected me with sports things like that. Um, like my lacrosse coach, like I was pretty good at lacrosse, like in middle school, um, scored a lot of goals in eighth grade, was ready to move on to high school. And like, you know, was souped about the lacrosse team and whatever. And my coach never played me in a single game. And I was doing, I was doing well in practice. I mean, and game days come and he just doesn't put me in. And then I went up to him after the first couple games. And I was like, coach, like, what's going on here? What do I got to do? Like, why aren't you putting me in? Like, what's the problem? And he was like, you're too small. Uh, and I was like, dude, are you fucking kidding me? I cried. I went home. I was like, yeah. fucking bullshit. This guy sucks. Like whatever. And I mean, I see these as lessons now that I had to, you know, go through on my own to realize for myself. Yeah, yeah. 
I should still feel like I'm enough for myself no matter what my body looks like. But yeah. either way, um, it affected me in, in a bunch of other sports and things in life. And eventually I gave in and I started eating. Um, started going to Chipotle, packing burritos with rice and cheese um, and just like eating a lot, lifting weights um, to put on some weight. And I did gain some weight. I did get bigger. I was at probably about 145 pounds at my biggest in high wow. school. Um, and then from there, um, started doing, I created a business my senior year in high school with one of my best friends at the time, uh, illegal stuff, not going to go into details. Um, and absolutely ran it the fuck up. Um, <laughs> and, um, yeah, had a lot of money on my hands at a really young age that I felt like I didn't deserve and felt like I couldn't hold on to because, didn't want my parents to catch me with money and didn't want, you know, had no explanation for this money. So just blew it up. I bought a bunch of fucking Louis belts and I went to the city and bought tables and, you know, fake ID and all, you know, going to the city and, you know, bottle service and all different shit started doing drugs, running away from myself at all points. Cause I would just, all my creative outlets that used to be my way of, um, I guess I could talk about that too. Like when I was younger, I had a lot of creative outlets, which definitely were a big contribution to me not wanting to eat. I was fulfilled, you know, yes. I was snowboarding, skateboarding, surfing, um, playing hockey, playing lacrosse, playing baseball, playing basketball, always doing shit with my brother and my friends and just like, always doing shit and just never yes. wanted to eat, always wanted to play, playing manhunt, you know, yes. bombat. We used to go to the school and, and we used to fill the wiffle ball bats with rocks and duct tape and fucking crank, crank the tennis ball across the parking <laughs> lot. Um, yeah, just all different things. I was just fulfilled. I never had yeah. a desire to eat because I always felt like life was nourishing enough. And, you know, eventually I gave in and had, as, you know, because I was small, I got kind of screwed over with a lot of these outlets and a lot of my friends stopped doing the same things that we used to do for fun. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I couldn't go to play wiffle ball anymore. Nobody wanted to go rot bomb hills on the skateboard with me anymore. So, you know, my only things left were like hockey and lacrosse because I had to choose between hockey and basketball. I chose hockey and then I had to choose yeah. between lacrosse and, ba- and baseball and I chose lacrosse and I got fucked over in both of those sports because of politics, <laughs> because of my size. So yes. all of my creative outlets, except for surfing in the summer and snowboarding in the winter were gone. And mm. I was just completely unmotivated and just surrounded by drugs. Um, I went to a school with a lot of rich kids that did a lot of drugs. Yeah. Um, a, a private Catholic school, a lot of fucking yeah. smoking weed and a lot of fucking cocaine. And Fuck. I did a lot of cocaine and I smoked a lot of weed. Yeah. I drank yeah. a lot of alcohol. I did a lot of Adderall. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I drank a decent amount of codeine in my day. I did a bunch <laughs> of fucked up popping Zans. I did all of it pretty much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a lot of money. So I was just blowing money on different drugs and on clothes and on just like all unconscious shit and just drove myself yeah. into the unconsciousness and really fucking went into a dark place. And I really wanted to go to the university of Miami. I had really, really stellar grades in high school. I graduated with like a 4.3 GPA, like 2000 SAT. I got into all different schools, UCLA, Pepperdine, um, a bunch of different shit. And yeah. the school that I really wanted to go to was Miami uh, Miami U and I got in for, it was like their highest, most densely populated class in their history to this day. They had more applications than ever. 
and I applied early decision and I got screwed over because I got, I applied early decision and there were too many kids. <laughs> and they told me that there's too many kids, but that I yeah. can spring. And I was like, all right, bet. I'll just go to community for a semester and then go to Miami in the spring. And my dad was like, what are you a fucking loser? You're going to go to community. What am I going to tell my friends? <laughs> you know? So like, I ended up not going, not doing that route. And yeah. my parents convinced me to go to Penn state, which is the opposite. I wanted to go to Miami because I wanted to go to the tropics and I wanted to study in the dope facilities yeah. at the university of Miami and be surrounded by palm trees and beaches and coconuts. Yes, yes, yes. And instead I got the freezing cold tundra where there's nothing to do except drinking <laughs> drugs and watch football. True. Uh, so I just dove even deeper and got into a really dark place, did a lot of Adderall, a lot of drinking, a lot of Xanax, a lot of cocaine, um, just a lot of fucking drugs. Yeah, a lot of disconnection. Basically said fuck you to my parents and didn't go to class at all. Um, the, only, the only class that I, I, I failed absolutely everything. I got a 0% in every class, didn't go to class, didn't show up for tests, didn't do anything. Yeah. The, only okay. thing, the only thing that I did was calculus. I would show up for test day and I got an A in calculus. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I took calculus twice in high school because I was ahead in math. So I took it okay. senior year and I took it senior year and then I took it freshman year of college. Oh, nice. I was like, I might as well go because I know this shit. Yeah. Math is yeah. I fuck with And you math. like it. Yeah. My teacher was like stimulating. I didn't go to class because like fuck that, but like I went for the <laughs> Then you see you at the exam. Yeah. So I did go to calculus, which was cool. Um, and then other than that, like I didn't do anything. Like literally, like I was just like, you know, keeping that illegal business going and yeah. um, just making money and blowing shit. Like, just and how, how, how old were you at that time? I was 18. 18. Yeah. Wow. I was a freshman in college. And then I was there for two semesters at Penn State before um, I just flat out told my parents, I was like, I'm failing everything. Like, yeah. you know, like I'm going to DR. I, I'm failing you, everything. Like, you guys should probably stop paying for this because <laughs> yeah <laughs> so sincere yeah because i'm not happy and i'm not happy. so yeah. something's wrong here and then yeah. i went home and i went to community i went to ocean county community which was ironic because that was where i would have only had to go for a semester before i went to uh-huh. but it didn't work out like that which i'm grateful because everything happened the way that it needed to happen i needed to hit rock bottom to learn how to climb out yep yep i like the rock bottom um yeah, super grateful for it and everything that I've learned. And now I'm more able to relate to people who are trying to get off drugs and who are, I understand addiction from a serious level. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. I've had a lot of friends with a lot more fucked up situations with me, a lot of friends like with heroin and different things. So I understand how addiction works um, through my uh, own experience in, yeah. um, you know, from, from a personal standpoint and from a logical standpoint. Um, studying the way that I've studied and I've seen that food is the exact same way. Like it's literally the same thing. Yes. Same um, thing. And people who tell me food isn't a drug, I haven't really studied drugs or food. <laughs> yeah. But it, it, they don't, they don't, you don't even have to study. It's just aware. logical. Like uh, you take this and I eat that there's plastic, there's different chemical. It will create something inside my body. It's the same with cocaine. It's the same with every drugs. Exactly. The term Chemistry drug is study of chemicals. Yeah. Everything is made of chemicals. So yes, exactly. So, (laughs) so yeah. For me, I understand that like everything you put in your body is a drug. Actually, yeah. So while I was at Penn State, actually, though, um, I did. I noticed myself getting super skinny from the Adderall and the Coke. I was a big stimulant guy. 
I was never really a huge fan of alcohol. I was never really a huge fan of the Zans or like the downers. I was more so about Adderall. Like yeah. I loved being yipped out of my mind yes. and jumping around the room and fucking, you know, doing crazy shit. Yes. Um, <laughs> I can relate to the crazy shit. Holy yeah. shit. Yeah. So I was, I was more that kind of party person. I was like the life of the party, like Mr. Fucking psychopath. And <laughs> has arrived yeah. yeah so i turned from that and while i was like that you know i noticed that i was getting super skinny like super mm-hmm. skinny like not like not ripped skinny like just skinny mm-hmm. um or like you could tell in my face that i was doing a lot of stimulants like that i was yeah like, that, that's skinny yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah like just not healthy skinny yes like, yes is like, I, I was always thing. skinny but i always looked healthy and i started yeah. to look not healthy so yeah it's easy to see you yeah. So what I started doing was, and I also was started to get really bad hangovers for the first time in my life. For a couple of years, I was able to hang with, with no hangovers. And then I started yeah. to get hangovers and I was like, all right, I still want to fucking slowly kill myself, but I don't want to have this pain yeah. every morning. So um, I started doing fruit smoothies. So that was when uh-huh. I first, that was the first time I ever really started having fruit. Me and my roommate, um, I got a little Nutribullet and every <laughs> yeah. I would make my Nutribullet smoothie with I would just throw I, I would go to this little grocery store and get every fruit that I could find and throw it in the fucking blender and blend it and, yeah. drink. and I didn't like it. it it tastes like shit I put I put milk in there too I didn't know any better yeah. at the time but I was getting fruit in me and it actually did help me yeah um, so I noticed that that was like the my introduction to fruit um learning about why fruit is good and I was like all right well at that point I did realize that fruit was probably the healthiest thing I can eat and every mm-hmm. time that I was eating fruit, I don't know, fruit just resonated with me as the healthiest thing to eat because it just like, I don't know, it just always did. I heard that yeah. fruit was healthy from looking up, like what's the healthiest stuff to eat? I saw fruit, somebody said it on whatever. And I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. And then when I got home from Penn State and I started going to Ocean County, um, I was still like doing stupid shit, still fucking drinking and doing blow and doing Adderall and a little bit, but it didn't last very long. And I started to... Um, just come to realizations. I, I actually really started with something that we're going to talk about uh, in an uh, additional podcast episode is the ancient yes. history stuff. Yes. I got into Egypt and um, basically everything that I learned at the time was very um, not true, but was very interesting at the time, yes. you know, learning about how the pyramids were supposedly energy and not tombs and um, different things about free energy and just a bunch of different knowledge of yeah. the Anunnaki story and yes, yes. you know the typical um the mainstream <laughs> the mainstream non-mainstream stuff yeah um, I, and I thought I hit the jackpot and I was figuring <laughs> out the world right? <laughs> and I was so just interested in the non-mainstream shit and I was like okay we've been lied to about yeah. something very basic and it's like if these pyramids are just like you know whatever. And then I was learning about how they're much older and that they have to be much older because yes. of the erosion uh, on the Sphinx and the erosion on the pyramids and that they were originally topped with limestone and, yes. like, you know, how the Sphinx were the lion and that the line, like it was probably built in the time of Leo and, you know, the <laughs> Zodiac ages and all that stuff. So I was just like, so interested. And from there, um, I was listening to a lot of Graham Hancock Yes, yes. He talks a lot about um, psychedelics and DMC. So I learned about psychedelics really. I did acid once at Penn State, 
which was a pretty interesting experience, but I didn't know what I was dealing with. And I just did it in a room watching music videos of like young thug and fucking <laughs> but, um, LSD and young thug. Yeah. I mean, he had some trippy, the music videos were trippy. It was, it was, yeah, cool. pretty much. Yeah. But, but I was just unconscious. I didn't really real. I didn't connect any dots or like do any really like divine thinking at that point. Cause yeah, yeah. my goal, I just thought it was like another drug that was just supposed to fuck me up and be fun. And uh-huh. it was fun, um, but I didn't really draw any conclusions from it or whatever. Um, and then the second time I did it, I did it a lot more uh, intuitively. And I did it yep. like looking to learn from it because I heard Graham Hancock speak of it. And I heard a couple other people, I started doing research on psychedelics and really seeing like if it was something I wanted to experiment with. And I was like, all right, well, I've been blowing lines for two, three years and I've been <laughs> doing shit that I know poisons me. So like, yeah. what do I have to lose? Like the idea of psychedelics were a little scary to me, but I was like, fuck it. Like I'm, I'm about it. Like if I yeah. can pop a Zan bar, I can fucking do a tab. And, yeah. and that's what I don't get about people with the urine therapy. Like, yo, you guys will willingly drink tequila and you guys are yeah. scared of the smell and taste of your pee, like of aged. Like it's not even, it's not even close to how bad tequila is. It's not even close <laughs> to how bad vodka is. Yeah, yeah. Like, it doesn't even compare to how bad <laughs> alcohol is. Like I, it's unbelievable, but yes, it is. that aside, um, yep. I just, I started experimenting with psychedelics. So I did a lot of acid. I did a lot. I didn't do a lot of mushrooms in the beginning. Um, it was mostly acid because I just had, um, somebody who could get me acid that was reliable and that I could trust. And it was consistent yep. every time. And I didn't have a guy who had mushrooms. So literally that was the only reason. And, um, my one boy, we got an eighth of DMT, like the powdered DMT. Yep. And just smoke it. that shit for like a week straight. I must have, I must have smoked DMT like a hundred times within a span of seven days. Like Whoa. literally, like I was just like on a journey to myself, like and yep. determined. Like we sat down, we were on the third floor of my house uh, in Tom's River, the shore house, and I was living there by myself because I was going to Ocean County College, and my family lived in North Jersey, so I had the whole house to myself. And we were just on that third floor, me and my two boys. And we were just like, let's see what this has to, to teach us here. Yes. Went, we just went ham. And just like, I was so excited by like how intense and long the journey felt. You come out of a DMT trip and you feel like you've been gone for an hour and like you just got a full night's sleep. And you look at the clock and it's only been two minutes. You're like, yes. I'm going to do that again. I'm going to do it again. <laughs> yes. And done, And you're like, I'm going to do it again. The first okay. day I probably did it like six or seven times in a row. Whoa. So super intense. And I was one of those kids, like I like I overdo everything. Yeah. We're <laughs> so intense. I, I was I like, know. I wanna I wanna see everything this has to offer before I'm done. <laughs> I will not stop. Yeah. Yeah. So I just wanted to like really dive in and get the full experience and really fucking do it. Cause the first couple times I didn't like I, I was like, I should have done more. It could have been more intense. Like yeah. now I'm kind of scared. I want to do it again. And then by the last one, I like, you know, we at first we smoked it with weed. So the first couple of times, like I just wow. sprinkled it on top of the weed and yeah. then I was reading that weed kind of like inhibits it and makes it like not as strong and kind of holds you back. And that mm-hmm. listening to music kind of holds you back and you should do it in complete silence. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, just experimenting with different things and how it made the trip and complete silence, complete darkness, and no, just wow. straight up DMT was the way to do it. And to take a big rip that seemed scary that like, by the time you're exhaling, you don't even realize you're exhaling and you're already gone. Yes. That's the, yes. Yeah. So that's, yeah. It took me a couple times of like to get past the fear and to actually like do it the right way. Um, which is why I ended up doing it a million times. Yeah. 
You learned. So I learned. But yeah. um yeah, and an interesting thing about DMT, which we were talking about before we started recording for the podcast, um, that the sediment of the aged urine is the only thing that's given me anything similar to that other than breath work, of course, breath work. Yes. I was like, as soon as I started doing breath work with Taylor and I, you know, learned that it just, the first time that you get that DMT rush, it's like, I was like, Oh my God, it's like the same thing that I felt when I used to smoke when I, when I smoked it, I was like, yes. craziest fucking shit ever, man. <laughs> and high supply. What the fuck? I'll be with the breath. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, from then, I really started to learn about myself through psychedelics. Um, and then I got back into my old self and I started remembering who the fuck I was. Uh, I was still drinking and I was still eating mac and cheese and pizza. <laughs> pizza, yeah. pizza, I started eating like later in high school, like junior year of high school, I started eating pizza or yeah. um, like more. Yeah. Um, and then it was basically just pizza and mac and cheese, which is my whole fucking shit. And I was doing, <laughs> and I was doing fruit smoothies in the morning. I was doing yeah. fruit smoothies with spirulina. I started doing distilled water. Um, just a couple basic things I was learning. I thought it was so interesting. And I thought I was like so healthy and on the right track. And I was like yeah. so psyched and motivated and inspired to be healthy. Right. But I was still <laughs> drinking alcohol on the weekends and I was still eating like shit. Um, yep. But I was working out again. I started doing shit again. I started intermittent fasting, only eating one meal a day other than my fruit smoothie. And then I got, I got back into extreme sports. So I really go oh. back into snowboarding and surfing, um, started wakeboarding again, learned how to backflip on a wakeboard, started wake surfing, which is like surfing behind the boat. You let go of the yes. rope, you surf to keep up with the boat. Yes, I got hold yes. the and I started making videos again, video, making videos, being a videographer was my passion since I was a kid. I always loved making videos of myself doing extreme sports. I got videos that I made of myself from like when I was like 10 years old, snowboarding and killing things. Right? <laughs> and like, it's fun. I started making videos again and I became friends with a group of kids who did crazy shit to make videos. So I was like, you know, jumping off bridges and cliffs and yeah. doing, doing flips off things and jumping off roofs into pools and wakeboarding and surfing and skimboarding, got back into skimboarding. I used to do like competitions when I was little. Wow. Um, and I just got back into all these extreme sports and started having fun again. And like, like real fun. That was like nourishing fun. And yeah. it, uh, I was just still like a psycho with it the same way that I was with the drinking and the fucking partying. I was still a psycho about the extreme sportsness and I got ahead of myself and I broke my neck doing a backflip off a cliff in Colorado, my C6. And that is what really started my journey when I broke my neck. Whoa. So I broke my neck and I was home. They told me six months in a neck brace six months PT before I could do really anything. And wow. I was 19 years old. And oh, shit, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, I was just finished with Ocean County. I was just about to start at Seton Hall. Um, mm. I moved back up North with my family in the neck brace. I started college in a neck brace. My first oh. semester I was in a neck brace, which was horrible. <laughs> yeah i can just try to imagine i couldn't turn my head so like if i wanted to if i wanted to like answer a question that was coming from over here i had to like turn my whole body <laughs> the question. and then people get to know you like this like uh, you know. yeah and i couldn't drive and like my brother had to drive me to class and like just a bunch of shit and yeah. i had a lot of free time 
So I was stuck at home with a lot of free time um, in my basement, just smoking a lot of weed and doing a lot of research in the shit that really interested me, which was at the time, the Egyptians and aliens and ancient history and just a bunch of different stuff. And I really wanted to figure it out because I was always wondering like where we came from. My family history only goes back like two generations. Well, at least that I know you know, Uh because of that great reset in the 1800s, but that's a, that's a topic for another day. (laughs) We, um, yeah, so I was just super interested and I really wanted to know. And at the time I thought that the Egyptians were the only real, um, ancient civilization that was like somewhat studyable. I didn't even know about the Mayans. I didn't know about Tartaria. I didn't know about the worldwide, you know, yes. a magnetic power grid and the yes. interconnected civilization that ran across the entire world. I didn't know about any of that at the time. I thought the pyramids were the <laughs> fucking crop yes. of ancient, ancient knowledge. <laughs> and yeah, so I was just super interested and I was just like on Inst- on YouTube, just l- researching, like there was yes. this account called universe inside you. Yes, 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 yes. I loved them. And they, they had a video about how the pyramids were, for energy and how, um, yes. you know, astral projection was a thing. And I was learning about astral projection and all these different things. And I was like, I want to do all this shit, man. Like, <laughs> it sounds yeah. so cool. And like the psychedelics, it was just like, I was in a different world. Life was so cool for me at that point, um, mm-hmm. learning about that. And it made being in a neck brace a lot better for me because yeah. my mind was in a creative, like interesting uh, zone at that zone. time. And I also came to the realization, like, where the fuck is everybody? When I was the life of the party and I was spending money on bottle service and tables and yeah, certainly, buying yeah. everyone's fucking shit and like going, you know, being fun at the clubs and, you know, doing whatever, everybody was around. And now that I'm home, two of my friends are still my friends. Where's everybody else? And I was yeah. like, everybody just disappeared. disappeared. And, really Ghost. and I was like, well, that's interesting. And then at the same time, after not drinking for a period of time, I was like, I really don't fucking like drinking. Like, I really don't even like going to the club. I like being home. It's Saturday and I'm laying in my bed and I actually like it. Like, I don't feel like I'm missing anything. And I actually feel bad for everyone who's out there wasting money and fucking killing themselves. Yes. Then I really got into fruitarianism because of that heartburn that I said that I had when I was a little kid, Mm. I've always had it my whole life. And I started taking pills for it in my like mid teens. Like when I was like 14, 15, I started taking pills for it every day. Dexalon, Nexium, Prolisec, all of the fucking over-the-counter bullshit, um, antacids or whatever they're called, the fucking heartburn pills. And why do you have that heartburn? I had it since I was a kid because pretty much all I ate was starch and cheese and Monsanto drugs. Okay. Um, and yeah, so basically there was, and my mom used to, and I would just came to this realization a while ago. I took a lot of antibiotics. My mom gave me antibiotics every time I didn't feel good. Every time my body was detoxing, my mom gave me antibiotics. So my, my just gut was just like all fucked up. I had athlete's foot, a bunch of different things, um, were manifesting itchy scalp, um, same kind of stuff. And I didn't connect all of that at the time. And actually I had, I didn't really make that connection until recently. Um, just pondering about it. Yes. But that was definitely a big cause, the ant, uh, the antibiotics. But um, and my mom and my whole family, like she just gives them to us, like they're Advils. Anytime <laughs> yeah. They're like Skittles. Yeah, literally. Um, 
so I had, to, I always took those pills and I always slept on my side because I wouldn't get heartburn when I slept on my left side with a bunch of pillows and I was like propped up. But with the neck brace, I had to sleep on my back. So okay. heartburn was fucking ridiculous. Just coming straight up. Horrible. So I kept going to the doctor and I was like, there's got to be a solution to this. And they were like, no, we just have different pills. And I was like, well, the pills aren't working because I'm on my back and I'm still getting heartburn and I'm taking <laughs> pills for no reason. And they're not working. So give me a real solution. I was like, I'm fucking 19 years old. You went to yeah. school for 10 years. You can't fix heartburn for a teenager. Yeah. Well, fuck man. Yeah, and they just looked at me like I was so mad. And they looked at me like I had 10 heads. They were like, what do you mean? We got pills here. I was like, dude, like, you're not, they're not going to help me. I was like, I don't know what to do. I was freaking out. I was like, I need to do some research for myself. And then I came across my, my one boy who was super interested in the ancient history stuff with me. We were kind of studying together, sending each other videos. Yeah. Like he was also living with me in my basement at the time um, because oh, nice. he was working. He was from down the shore and he was working in the city at the Holland Tunnel. So like I see like by staying at my house, it saved him like an hour and a half of a drive every single day to work. So it was like worth it. And I had someone yeah. keep company while I was home with my neck brace. Nice. Um, so it was cool. And we, um, what's it called? He sent me alkaline humans page. So do you oh, know yeah. is? alkaline humanism. Yes. Yes. Uh, yes. I, sorry, I just met him in Tulum actually in person finally years yes. later, but, um, we, uh, I, I found out about his page and he's a big proponent of green juice and distilled water and fasting and fruitarianism. So yes. I, learned a lot about ph and about you know like the basics of the vegan wave and the fruitarian wave whatever so i just decided fuck it i'm gonna do a couple days on just fruit the green juice i was like that sounds disgusting i've never eaten a vegetable in my life don't plan <laughs> i'm gonna just stick to some fruit so i picked on blueberries and cantaloupes for four days four days later no heartburn for the first time in my life no pills four days yeah, four days. My whole fucking life. And uh -huh. With pills. Four, four days later, it was gone. And I was like, this is serious, serious stuff. And I'm onto something here. And this dude is onto something here. So I dove deeper. I kept going. I kept the fruitarian wave going. I ended up being pretty much like 99% fruitarian for like six months. Wow. They told me six months in a neck brace and six months PT. I ended up doing three months in a neck brace and three months PT. Half. So I was back in half the time because of yeah. fruitarianism. And I wasn't into breath work or anything yet. Um, wow. Then that following summer, which was about a year later, yeah. um, not a year, maybe. Yeah, like right around the end of that six months was the summer um, okay. of fruitarianism. And then I started going a little more into raw veganism, started experimenting with nuts and more dates and like kind of stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I was making like granola bars with like dates and nuts and shit like that. Hemp seeds, yeah. chia seeds, and like just doing more research on nutrition. Yes. Um, and then Jules put me on to Taylor Bud. Now Jules met Casey Bud a couple years prior to us even meeting on the beach and they followed each other on Instagram. And then when <laughs> we were doing the raw vegan thing, she just happened to see one of Casey's posts and was like, oh shit, this girl that I met on the beach a while ago was doing this uh, kind of raw vegan stuff too, fruit stuff mm -hmm. too. And then she was like, she's got like a bunch of videos talking about it and whatever, like maybe we could watch them. And I was like, word. So we watched a video. I watched a video of Casey talking with Taylor 
and he was talking about how he was one year on liquid. Yes. He was discussing carbohydrates about how we are carbon hydration. We're water with carbon attached and how your whole body is literally a carbohydrate and everything is just a combination of those three elements. And I was like, this guy's a <laughs> yeah. genius. I was like, this guy's a genius. I yeah. need, to, I need to hear more of what he has to say. And he's gone without food for a fucking year. How does he do that? He's gotta, he's gotta know what he's fucking doing. Yes. And I just started looking into it and it just resonated so deep. And then after about a week of studying his work, he was coming to Jersey and I was like, dude, I got to meet you. Yeah. What a cool coincidence. We did a breath set. We did a couple breath sessions and we talked and I learned a lot from him. He put me on to the flat earth thing. He put me on to the breath work. He put me on to a bunch of different perspectives, the whole breatharian perspective as a whole, which changed my outlook on everything. The whole, you are everything you need, nothing. The whole uh-huh. thing you consume will take from you what it lacks. Like that's all from Taylor. Yeah. I learned all wow. of that. From him. He was like my initial like mentor, like Google, yeah. like I am infinitely grateful for that motherfucker, dude. Yes. Like seriously. Um, <laughs> Yeah, he um he really put me on, and I'm, I'm talking about Taylor Bud, guys. Um, he's on YouTube as uh, the Breathwork Bro now, and he's he's on Instagram, but not really. It's like underscore T Bud, and his he's on like Parlor, which I don't have. Um, that's mm-hmm. the main thing is Parlor now. Um, and his sister is underscore C Bud, Casey Bud. So they're cool. Check them out. Great people know a lot of fucking stuff they're they're awesome as a reference to learn from i learned a lot from from both of them um and And when have you decided to to leave jersey to go to uh, dr so i went a couple places before the dr so um first uh well i started doing the breath work that summer when i learned when i learned from taylor and the breath work changed everything alkaline human convinced me to get on my first fast on green juice and that set the tone and then i really like felt fasting and breath work as a combination for the first time. And I was like, really fucking onto something now. I was like, fruitarianism ain't shit. <laughs> fruitarianism is nothing. Yeah. So, like, yeah. And then I, I got into John Rose and started learning about like extended uh-huh. solid food vacations and Arnold Errett and Dr. Sebi, Dr. Sebi in the beginning. Um, yeah. And just a bunch of different stuff like that. Started messing with herbal teas. Taylor put me onto some herbs too. Um, and Dr. Uh, Dr. Sebi was a big inspiration for Taylor. Taylor learned a lot from Dr. Sebi too. Mm. Um, studying actual, like from Sebi talking, not from like people yeah. had to say about Sebi, like his fucking bullshit list. Yes, yes, like, because there's so much fake info. Yeah. Sebi was a breatharian advocate. He he talked about how we yes. were designed to eat food. So he was all on that wave as well. He also talked about golden liquid. Uh, there's some uh, sketchy videos sometimes that you, you can catch from him if they're not deleted from YouTube and need to Which is why yes. I'm surprised. I'm surprised that Taylor is actually not an advocate for urine therapy, which is the, ah. one, thing, the one thing where our philosophies don't align is I am a super advocate of urine therapy and he's yeah. an advocate of urine therapy. Wow. His, his, his idea of it is that you should be basically a watarian in order to do urine therapy, where you should be consuming basically nothing in order to consume your urine, that it's specifically only the bridge between consumption and breatharianism. Now mm-hmm. I don't necessarily, and he's, he's never done it. So, I mean, yeah. but I see it, it's, it's completely different from that. And I've, yes, you guys can look at yeah. my content on YouTube or on Instagram. There's, there's tons of information that I've put out on urine therapy. I don't want urine therapy to take this 
podcast episode up. Um, but yeah, because uh, it's easy for it to do that. Yes, um, yes. So but then you went to different place before DR. Yeah, so we went to Jamaica, we went to Nicaragua, and then we went to Florida. And we were gonna we were gonna stay in Florida long term. We stayed we stayed in Florida the longest out of anywhere else. And then we went back to Jersey to get all our stuff to move back to Florida. My one boy was living in Boca Raton. We were gonna move to Boca Raton with him and stay there. But we we literally just drove down to Florida like on a whim and just like said fuck it like let's just go to Florida see what happens. We lived in the car and just stayed uh-huh. with like friends and stuff and whatever. Um, and then we were like all right we're actually about to move here. Got it you know my boy's crib has an extra room. We're about to move here. And then we went back and COVID started right when we got back to Jersey, right oh, before wow. we to Florida. So Devon was living with, with us in Jersey at the time, right when I got back from Florida. Um, the black airbender, Devon, he was living with me in Jersey and we were supposed to go to Florida together. So he moved to Miami and I decided not to go because me and Jules were having our own relationship problems, whatever. Yes. Um, I decided I was going to go to Hawaii and I booked, wow. a flight. I booked a one-way flight for myself um, <laughs> with myself. And I told Jules, fuck you. I'm going to Hawaii. I'm going to go figure yeah. it out and decide what I want to do. If I want to continue investing into this relationship or if I don't, yeah. um, and you know, I, I need some time to figure myself out and do and yes. figure out what I want. And I ended up bringing her anyway, because she threw a fit <laughs> and she wanted, <laughs> and she wanted to go so bad. And I was just like, whatever, like, and especially like, cause of the COVID thing, I was like, I might get stranded. Yeah. Here. Might not be the best idea to be alone. Don't know what, what's going to happen yeah. at least to have a companion with me. Like, even if the relationship isn't flawless, like it'll be, it, it's something. So it's kind yeah. of like the universe kind of telling me like, you know, put whatever and yeah. going. And we went to Hawaii together. We ended up staying there for three months. So we lived on Maui for three months and it was awesome. We lived in Lahaina on the West for a month mm-hmm. and a half. And then we got a van for a month and a half and we did the van life and we went all around Maui, which was oh. epic. Um, oh, man. Wow. Yeah. But I was, I was also going through my own emotional shit on the journey, like yeah. a lot of stuff coming up. Like it was like, I look back at Hawaii and it was actually a very hard time for me at the time. Interesting. I was very, very broke financially, uh-huh. no money, barely able to afford the van we were renting to stay in and fruit. Um, literally like was like climbing coconut trees and like going to like people's yards and taking fruit off their trees, like to fucking eat. Wow. Um, literally like begging my mom for money for gas and like, whatever, like doing breath sessions for like 50 bucks a pop and like hoping I would get two or three a week, like wow. and coming up with the breathwork course. I was like in my very initial states of coming up with the course for the yes. be how to breathe course, which eventually became the full 300 page textbook and nine week course that I dropped when I first got home. Uh, in July, I, I literally just got home from Hawaii in mid June and just got to work and fucking <laughs> wrote the whole textbook and came up with the whole course and dropped the course. And that was the first time that I ever really had real money since the high school shenanigans, mm. um, like real honest, honest income, like yes. real, real, like big boy money was the first time, like yep. was when I got home and I went from being like totally broke, barely being able to afford the car I was living in and food to like being able to be like, all right, where do I want to move now? Mm-hmm. And, then, um, nice. and then I decided um, to go to the DR because yeah. COVID was still a thing. It was getting worse. Yes. And as the fall was coming, things were not looking good. 
Um, that summer when I, when I first got back while I was in Hawaii is when my dad did his 60 day green juice fast while I was in Hawaii. So I got back and he was just finishing his green juice fast. And then after that, um, just went to the DR and just, I fasted for about a month. Like the beginning of that long fast was right before I left for the DR. You mean the, the 90 days? Yeah, right before I left. So it was a month, and then I continued in the DR fasting, and then I went back to fruit. And, then, and what and then, were you – you were only drinking uh, tea, urine, water? like Green juice, pretty much just liquids. Just I was, okay. I was pretty lenient with myself for most of it. Um, wow. Just not smoothies, no fiber. Um, okay. and then past so that's it, past the difference. Like, uh, if you don't have a juicer and you just have a blender, you have all the fibers, right? Yeah. I, yeah, exactly. It's all the fibers. Um, it's just heavier, more for the body to process. You detox deeper when you don't have fiber. Um, mm -hmm. once you're past the point of needing fiber, like in the beginning, I would recommend for people to do some of these or to eat fruit. Like whenever yeah. I have clients, I start them out with just only, um, what's it called? Just only fruits, like a mono fruit or yeah. like fruit feast. And then we go into the liquids. So the fiber helps to, it's like Those a mop the digestive system. It pushes everything through. Then uh -huh. we go to green juices only after. So green juices, herbal teas, urine, distilled water. And oh. only after 30 days of that, 30 days minimum, for some people, depending on yeah. who it is, I do like 60 or 90 days before they can have fruit juice. Um, but then they, then they can go to the fruit juice. So like fruit juice is something that's earned your ability to like get past it. Because if you have any kind of, plaque on the lining of your GI tract, it's fer fermenting into ethanol and your candida is eating it and you're just feeding the problem and not the solution. Whoa. So I have a video on my YouTube called only eat fruits and only juice veggies. Um, basically like we're not designed to break down the fibers in leafy greens. And we're also unable to absorb the sugar from fruit juice without the fiber um, until we're completely clean. Nice. So, yeah. and then at the end of that fast was when I did the urine fast until, uh, and when I first got back from Hawaii, that's when I really dove into the urine therapy. I started right before Hawaii, but being out in Hawaii, I kind of lost it. Nobody was really like supporting it. I wasn't talking to anybody about it. So I kind of mm -hmm. fell off. And then when I got back in June last year, that's when I really fucking went ham on urine therapy. And I started, that's when I learned about snorting it. I started using it in my eyes and my ears, everything enemas. That's when I really went ham with the urine therapy. Um, nice. And yeah, at the end of that 90 day fast, I did the urine until I stopped peeing. And then I did 15 days dry. So your body really started to reabsorb everything. Exactly. And your body gets to a, to a point of cleanliness where it's clean enough, where it can actually just keep that closed loop, loop system going. And then at that point, when you're only consuming urine, you'll eventually use all the urine and your blood vessels expand. Um, you grow and you can hold more water and eventually you start to use all the water, your muscles grow. And at that point, then you can sustain breatharianism, no food, no water. And I did it for 15 days and I didn't break it because I was hungry or thirsty. It was actually profound how in balance I felt the whole time. The only reason I ended up breaking it was because of the sensitivity being around a lot of unconsciousness. Every time I go to the beach and feeling all the unconscious Dominicans that 
are full of worms and eat yes. like all cooked dead animals and high fried oils and plantains and like just everybody's like self-hate and fear and insecurity and like sexual predation of women. Like I just picked up on everything and it was just like a lot for yes. me. To handle. Um, even though there's not a lot of Wi-Fi here, it was just um, other, mm-hmm. other things, other, other organisms that were really just like making me crazy. I felt like it wasn't me, even though they are all reflect- reflections of me. Um, mm-hmm. Either way, whatever, the way, whatever, however you want to put it. I wasn't ready for the sensitivity. I wasn't ready for the yeah. breath of state. And I was just being honest with myself yeah, saying, that's- I experienced this. I know it's legit. I feel phenomenal, but I'm not ready for this level of sensitivity. And it's kind of the same thing. Like, you know, when you've been like tripping on acid and you're like six hours into the trip or like really long into the trip and you're like, all right, I'm kind of like getting tired. Like, I'm kind of like, I don't really want to trip anymore. Like I want to go to bed and I, I really would yes. like to stop soon. Right. It was kind of like that for me. Like I was psychedelic at all times a day. Like I could see the fucking fractals moving in my fingers. When I look at my hands, I could look at the tile on the floor. And if I stared at something for more than a couple seconds, it would start moving. And I could see the energy waves in things. Uh-huh. It was like, so sensitive. I could hear the birds in the morning. Like I knew that I rec- started to recognize birds and like what trees they were on, like without even getting up off the floor nice. like with my eyes closed with my eye covers on, I could literally like tell which birds are here, like what time it is based on what bird is coming through, like crazy shit. So the um, senses were like super uh, in tune. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Yes. Like I really tip my hat to Elaton for being able to handle the sensitivity for as long as he has, because the yes. sensitivity is really, really intense. And I, I totally get why most breatharians who actually do it don't come out into society because no. one, they have nothing to prove. And two, because absorbing everyone's insecurity and fear and, and like all that sensitivity being around unconscious people is very, yeah. very intense. It's very intense and it doesn't feel right. Yes. Um, so I feel like solitude and breatharianism are definitely aligned. And I, like I said, tip my hat to guys like Pralad Johnny who let Western people study him and for guys like Elaton who interact with a lot of people and do a lot of um, social work. Yes. Yeah. Totally respect it because it's totally not me, man. Like at least not the way that I could see myself doing it. Like I really like now where I'm at in, in a DR now I have a new apartment so I'm in a little surf town, which is like just right outside the little city that I was in. It's not really a city, but it's a town where there's a lot of people and a lot of traffic and a lot of noise and yep. a lot of stuff going on, bars and restaurants and all that shit. Now I'm in like a little surf town. I don't really mm-hmm. interact with anyone. I walk past cows and horses on the way to the beach. I can go to the beach oh, and get nice. to and stay there all day long. So like now this place is like breatharian land to me. And yes. Now I'm really pursuing this liquid life and I'm, I'm about to go for like a year and I'm going to do spurts of going into that breatharian state again. So I'm going to do your nice. just urine fasting to go into the dry or into the breatharian state and then toggle with that sensitivity and be, become more um, used to it, more familiar with it. So that eventually uh-huh. maybe, you know, 10, 15, 20 urine fast in the future, you know, a couple yeah. of years into this, Who knows? Journey, I yeah. will be able to sustain it and do it yes. i'm not rushing it and i'm here no there's no rush man just follow I'm the rhythm thoroughly enjoying the cucumber juice and i am thoroughly enjoying the water <laughs> so i am totally cool with where i'm at and yeah. totally cool with where i at least think i'm going right now and totally cool with not knowing where i'm going yeah exactly and that's that's one thing that i because there's some people that that tells me like why are you not breatharian already or 
like right now, even me, I can be uh, super open. Like I still have some resistance with going only, only fruits or only, only juice because I'm moving so much. And I feel like the first step to be really able to make the transition is to bring that vehicle uh, to a certain place where it's more easy for you. Because right now, like you say, man, I go in the city and then I see meat everywhere and I see tons of people just overeating. Like, just for me, the, the thought of eating a breakfast is like, what, what is, yeah. what is, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me. Like you just woke up, like go for a walk, take a breath, but no, they go, yeah. they wake up and then it's like, all right, let's eat, let's put some yeah. bacon. Let's, let's get high first thing in the morning. Yeah, 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 exactly. So for me, it's, it's quite, it's quite difficult. So, uh, I know that in my journey right now, I have a little bit of resistance with uh, the food, but I would say like I'm um, 90, 95% only fruits. That's all I have in my home. But as soon as I go in the city, I go to the gym or I do a little bit of uh, paperwork or anything like a little adventure and I come back and I cross the city. Then there's some smells that comes into my nose and then I just hang out in the city and then I, oh, it's it's a slippery, a slippery slope, like you said. Yep, definitely. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I would definitely agree that you got to do it somewhere where you're comfortable. It's like riding a bike, right? If you're just learning how to ride a bike, isn't it better to do it on a street where there's no cars coming instead of going <laughs> where to learn how to ride a bike? Yeah, that's such a good way to put it. Got to do it where you can have that solitude and no one's breathing down your fucking neck and there's no distraction and there's no temptation really. Yes. But for me, like all they have is like fucking super fried shit and like yes. Asano drugs or fruit really the fruit is the only temptation and there's only a couple fruit stands that i don't pass by unless i'm specifically going there you like see? I go to the beach and there's no food on the way to the beach wow. which is still the only place that so i go all, exactly so you've placed the elements perfectly for you that exactly. it's, it's it's as a little detail as this as crossing the stand of fruit it's so tiny because you, you will resist the day one day two day three day 16 i don't know and then eventually you'll get that smell of that mango or and then your your emotions are down a little bit you woke up some kind of way and then you'll just give up and then you'll take that mango it's so it's special yeah. and eventually it's like once you can master it that that sensitivity and that emotional sensitivity and physical yep. you get to the point where now you're able to handle going into the city like and going back mm -hmm. home to your family or going yes. somewhere else and being able to be confident in what you're doing and know that you don't even really want the food and that uh -huh. and yeah that, that's a good sign of like you have detox here yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Like, that's like, all right, you're here. Like you're, you're about this now, like this lifestyle yeah. sustainable for you because yep. it's just like anything, you know, like if you, what good is, what good is going to rehab and, and detoxing. If the first time you're presented with an opportunity to get high, you're going to go get high. The whole yep. point is like, you should be able to be off it when it's right in front of you. Someone should that's be able to give exactly. you juicy soursop right in front of you. And you have to say, <laughs> I'm good on that. Yeah, I was about to say the exact same thing. Like, let's say you're a cocaine addict and then you, you detox somewhere like in the jungle. And then the test is you go back with your friends or in the city where there's cocaine lines everywhere on the table and you're able to say no. Now, you know, you detox because if they present it to you and then you just go, 
and then you fall back. Ooh, maybe the detox is completely. Exactly. So that's pretty much my full spectrum journey from starting. <laughs> it's an awesome journey. Holy shit. Yeah. I skipped over a couple of details. Yeah. Oh, tons I mean, of details. But I mean, that's definitely, uh, that's definitely a good uh, ballpark synopsis yes. of my journey. So when let's start with when you came into, you started driving your car that people call Wallace. Yes, yes, yes. So first, um, that vehicle, that avatar that I'm in, it wasn't called Wallace. So uh, that's a, like, I'll get to this, but uh, my mother and my father, when I arrive into this world, they call me William. So I had that name for a long time and I, I, still, I still love it. And pretty much everyone in my family, they know me as William and they... <laughs> I'm pretty sure right now my family following me on uh, Facebook or any social media, they're like, what the fuck? Like, wh what is this William? Like, they are probably wondering why my name is Wallace everywhere and everyone knows me as Wallace. But I arrived into this world in a little town called Saint-Jean-Baptiste-de-Rouville. So my first language is French. It's super Quebecers. It's a little town of, uh, of like uh, 3,000 people, I think and uh, only like cornfield and uh, one one um, church, one grocery store, and then uh, one garage, the Garage Momo, and then there was a BMR and lots of trucks. So I was born there, little town, but beautiful. I have awesome memories of it. And then my father was a, a diesel mechanic and my mother, she had a uh, air saloon 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 hair company like she was cutting hair okay and yeah. uh, in her house so this is probably where i get my entrepreneurship and from her father also because her father owned many uh, like he was dealing uh, used car new cars then he had like um, luminaires he was uh, selling jewelry at one point he had tons of companies and from all the talks that I had with my mother, we think nobody knows really exactly, but we think a, he had lots of business that was also underground because uh, he was probably connected with, uh, I don't know, I, I really don't know. Maybe he was connected with the mafia or something because my, my mother recalled one day in the, the car dealership, they had a holdup, a complete holdup with uh, guys entering the the company with guns and um, telling uh, telling them to, to give them money. So stuff like that happens a lot in her life. But me, I, I didn't see anything. I just had a beautiful childhood. My father was a diesel mechanic. He saw me being born and then my father, my brother being born. And he decided I cannot continue to be a diesel mechanic. I need to have a better job. So he got back to school, become a firefighter. We moved to a city called Ul. It was called Ul. Now it's uh, Gatineau because they fused, they fused uh, like three. Yeah, they fused Elmer, Ul, and Gatineau together. It's right next to Ottawa, the capital of uh, Canada. We moved there. My father has his job. I went to primary school. I was always the smallest guy 
pretty much like you. This is why I can relate. Like I was always the smallest, but I was a clown. Like in every of my classes, no teacher really loved me, but they loved me. Like I was disruptive. I wasn't listening. I was like uh, questioning everything they were saying. I remember, <laughs> I didn't remember like uh, first year in primary school, my agenda was filled with messages of my teacher writing to my parents saying, William wasn't listening today. William got up when we were doing the, the talking circle. William got into the structure when we were supposed to get in line. William doesn't uh, do his homework and start talking, uh, talking when I'm talking. Nah, nah, nah. Like my agenda was filled. So I understood that it was my soul kind of uh, reacting to that matrix, trying to hold me and tell me to do everything like the other ones. Uh, I never liked it. So then later for me, it was later. I was very was later. I, I was a little angel when I was a kid. I, <laughs> my teachers all loved me. I was quiet. I asked good questions. I wanted to learn. I was, such oh, a, wow. I was a good little slave. And <laughs> good little slave. Yes. That, that's why when I kind of hit that rock bottom, like kind of crazy psycho period of my life, that was when I really started to question the system. And mm -hmm. that, that's kind of what brought me to it. Like I had to kind of go from complete like slave, like good student, like cared about school, loved, I loved learning, but I was always like a good kid. Like I always like could understand my teachers and how I didn't want to make them mad. Um, okay. Like that. Like I always wanted to just like please everybody for some reason. And it was only till like later in high school that I really started to just be more confident and just like call out teachers when they said stuff that didn't make sense or like, so yeah that that was me yeah i would i would say like i, I was a clown but i was a good kid also especially primary school like uh, i don't remember any time like the teacher really was mad at me it's just she was laughing because i was disruptive but at the same time i was not like uh, i was not a stupid kid i was not doing anything stupid for anyone i was just making people laugh so let's say, let's say in English class, I wasn't good in English at all, but my name was William. So every, every, every of my friend was calling me Will. So every time the teacher was talking and I was super young and every time the teacher was talking and was saying a, a sentence with like, I will do this. I was like present. And I, I was like, uh, I'm here. And then uh, every time, and then Will was like in every sentence and, that would make people laugh in my class. But that was like really young age. And then I get to high school and then you're searching for who you are. I get to a private school also like you. And um, you just want to get into a certain group and get accepted. And you don't even question who they are. You just want to get to uh, the first group that will tell you you're good and laugh and it's it's weird when you look back at your your choice it's it's special but then i get to that group start smoking weed and um like always tired always tired i remember everyone asking me hey will how are you and i was like oh i'm tired in french but i was like yeah i'm tired because i was always smoking weed and all we did was smoke weed wake up in the morning and then hiding your weed anywhere in your house. And then before taking the bus, we smoke a little joint behind the, the bush over here or behind the, the bus stop. 
and then we get to school we're super high so then we get to the little um, like cafeteria and then we buy some food we get to class and now we're super high so we, we sleep and then at the 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 bell we get to the depth and then we smoke again and then at night before going to bed you smoke again so i did that for quite a long time i was still like quite a funny guy but i was always uh, tired and i was searching for myself a lot so i remember at one point there's the like uh how how do i say this the lady in charge of the school like the highest lady in the school i don't know like directress like the director but lady style and um she she told us like she was almost like putting fear into us. She said, if you guys, like it was a big, big uh, presentation in front of, of the school. If you guys fail any class, we have the choice to remove you from this school, blah, 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 blah. And that really stuck into my mind. And there was one class, uh, the class of history that I was really bad at it because I wasn't listening. I was just making fun of the teacher and questioning everything he was saying and he was tired of me and I was like why are you saying that and I want more information and he was never able to give me more information so I knew I was failing the class so instead of them pulling me out the school I told my parents I just want to get out of that school so then they sent me to an not they sent me I decided to go to another school now a public school it went even worse. I started smoking more weed, but I found a good friend. So a good friend over there, better influence, and um, bought a scooter, learned a little bit about the mechanics slowly but surely. Then after that year, I felt like the public school was um, too, I don't know. How can I say this? to like free for all and the not good influence. So I went to another high school called Sport Etudes. So we were doing studies and a sport. And I, all my life I played hockey. Like uh, from hockey. when I was, yeah, I played hockey all my life. Like from when I was seven years old and I went and played um, until midget double C and I, did I play juvenile? I don't know if I continue after. I think I played one year juvenile. So um, I played all my life. I played competitive. I, I played contact uh, hockey when I finally realized that I was always the fastest guy in all my teams, but I was the smallest. But when you play contact hockey and you understand physics a little bit, you're small, your center of gravity is low and you're fast. So that's a lot of, uh, of movement. It's a lot of force that is a uh, move at the same time. So if you're able to canalize all that energy, you can hit hard. So at one point I realized that and then I started playing competitive. That's competitive interesting too, because you're a pretty big dude now. Okay. Yes, right now I am, how yes. Like how big are you? <laughs> Uh, I think uh, I haven't weighed myself in years, but I think uh, I'm probably around 140. But I have lots of fat, like, uh, but I'll lots of fat. Like, I have fat. Yeah. <laughs> I, I need what? How tall are you? I'm 5'7, probably. Oh, shit. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I thought you were taller than me. I would have guessed you were like six on the feet. It's hard to tell on Instagram. You can't tell at all. I would have yeah, guessed. Instagram, you never know. But That's yeah, I was, I was always the smallest. But uh, 
I know that as soon as I put this avatar into the right place, I'll get only on juice and I know it, it will like shrink because I have like lots of fat, um, like in lower abs and also like my skin always been like, I've never been ripped all my life. Like even if I look when I was uh, 14 years old, I start training when I was 14 and um, I never was ripped. I was like, I was strong, but never ripped. But anyway, so then I went to Sparhetsud. I did hockey and studying. Then I went back to uh, the first high school that I was. So I've moved a lot in, in those years, finishing high school. Um, oh, yeah. And before, before, I think the last year of high school, that's like a big event of my evolution because I was lying to my parents all those years because I was smoking so much and my, my parents were thinking it was a dangerous drug, especially my father. He thought it was a dangerous drug and I, it was the beginning of being a junkie and then you go to cocaine, then you go to crack and then you're just like... Uh, I mean, I won't say it, me. It did, it did bring me to other fucked up drugs. <laughs> yes, yes, it's true. It's like a, it's like a gate, but... If, if you really want to say it's the gate, maybe the beer is the gate, maybe the alcohol is the gate, or maybe the milk is the gate to the beer, and then the beer is the gate to the cannabis. Like, I mean, it's really I don't emotions think... that would I would consider the gate. The emotion, the, yes. figuring out that you can run away from your emotions is the gate. That, <laughs> no matter what drug you're doing, it's all the same. Totally, totally. Uh, yeah, that's the real deal. But then um, at one point, I was lying so much that I got caught into my lie. So I was at one of my friend's place and then we're all high like on on uh pook and then uh, cannabis and other of my friends were doing harder drugs and um then I, re i just remember my father called me and he's like where are you and he never calls me so i'm i'm like i'm at gd's place because i had to continue the lie so i'm like i'm at gd's place Uh, because I told them I was going at GD's place and I said, we're, I'm at GD's place and we just ordered a pizza and we're like giving too much detail because you're too high. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm at GD's place. We just uh, ordered a pizza because we finished playing basketball and, and, and we're about to eat. Like, okay. And then I hang up and I, and I remember thinking, what the fuck? Like, like I, I think I'm like, something's going to happen because that was too weird. And not long after we just hear ding dong. And, and, then, and then my friend went up, opened the door. He comes back. He's like, oh, white. He's like, Will, your father is in front. And I'm, and I'm on the couch like way too high. Like, no, you're kidding. He's like, yes, he's there. I get up. I got up. And then my father is like, in French, is like, uh, like, get your ass in the car. And then I get in the car. And from that point, we got back to my house. I had to show them my stash. I was hiding all my weed and my bonds and my sploof and all the different types of weed that I had in the ceiling. I, and from that moment, that little gang that I was with, the bad influence, I cut completely. The next day, I wasn't talking to them because now I was not cool anymore. I was not smoking. So I had to change group. So that was quite a, a good event. When I look at it back, like I, I really thank my father and my mother for taking the action of doing that. Then finishing high school, wondering what I'm going to do with this life. 
not knowing. So I went to a little place they call like um, profession test or something. You you get like a big sheet of paper with tons of questions and then you answer them. And then at the end, it gives you like, oh, you're good or your avatar or your soul is good to go into that direction. So I had like a designer, I had architecture, I had a something like um, uh, aviation and something else. So then I went into architecture. So I studied architecture for three years at, uh, at La Cité in Ottawa. And um, again, I, I, I didn't fit the mold. So they were always like, just for me, it doesn't make sense to be in a class with tons of people learning the same knowledge. It doesn't make me any kind of uh, unique I'm, I'm I feel like I'm a robot like with everyone else like uh, I want to be unique I want to have uh, different knowledge so I can share some knowledge to you you can share some knowledge to me and then we're all unique and we grow so then I'm at uh, I'm in architecture I think in my mind that I'm going in architecture and I'm going to do lots of drawings lots of uh, artistic work no we're behind the computer all fucking day so after two years in architecture my motivation went down and I cheated like badly on the biggest uh, exam that uh, we needed to give in the biggest class. I completely cheated. Like I took the complete project of my friend and I don't know what I thought. I thought I was not going to get caught, but uh, it was too clear. Like all the details were the same. I only changed a couple tiny details but the teacher was smarter than me. They bust me and I was kicked out of architecture for a year, got back to architecture, finished architecture. And when I was out of architecture, this is when my education really started. At that point, um, and during all those years, I had companies. Like uh, I know it's maybe hard to believe or to, to trust, but from the moment I was in uh, secondary first, the first secondary, I was already mowing lawn and I was doing bandanas like this, not like this one, but different one. I just bought bandanas at the dollar store with shoelaces and then I was putting them together and selling them at school. I was mowing lawn in my neighborhood and I was already like um, buying parts and selling parts of a lawnmower or stuff like that. And then when I left high school, I had pretty much my landscaping company already. And uh, I was doing that at the same time with um, architecture. And during the summer when I had no school, I had employees and we were doing interlock decks, uh, mowing lawns, cedars, everything landscaping. And at one point I met my, um, my ex-girlfriend. I was 21. Yeah, I was 21. And um, she brought me to the, the vegan lifestyle just with a couple of documentaries. When I saw the truth, I was like, what the fuck? I've been eating bacon and all that stuff, like really, really bad for me. And I had a, the biggest challenge of my life was with myself because I had acne for like uh, five years. And Maybe people that didn't have acne in their life, they cannot understand, but it's so difficult, especially when you don't care about what other people think and you care about yourself because 
you wake up one morning, you have a new pimple, and then uh, at one point it was so bad that my face was getting like a, a big bumps. Like it, it was, it was a that that's what I call I lived in hell for five years because it, every morning waking up and then spending hours in front of the mirror trying to to remove them, but it was just making it worse. So I lived in hell pretty much for five years from, uh, I think it was from 15 to 20, something like that. Then I met Reb. She showed me the vegan lifestyle. I started removing all meat and dairy immediately because I didn't want to support that. And um, yeah, just continue doing my thing, landscaping and uh, doing good money, doing really, really good money. I had two trucks. I had a couple trailers, I had a little shop, I have tons of equipment, I had four um, what we call employees, I, I prefer calling them helpers, and um, doing really good business. The company was called Whip Landscaping, and I was, uh, I was a good-sized company in a, where I was living, and everyone knew me because my truck, one of my truck had... Um, uh, plastic grass, fake grass on the on the back of the truck. So like everyone knew me, people were pointing at my truck uh, everywhere. So that was a good a good part uh, of my business life. And at the same time, I was buying cars and selling cars, and buying uh, landscaping equipment and selling equip uh, equipment, all on Kijiji and uh, Facebook because I understood that that place was like a gold mine. Mm -hmm. So. Doing that, doing lots of money, but at the same time, not really happy because landscaping is really, really fucking hard job. And the clients, they don't understand most of the time that when it rains, we don't work. So for them, they, it can rain for three days and they count this as sunny day. So they say, why you didn't come and cut my lawn? And I was like, yeah, it rained. So for three days, so we don't cut lawn. But then at one point, winter in Canada, I couldn't work because usually landscaping, what they do is snow removal. I didn't want to go into that crazy lifestyle because I did it for another company. And it's, it's crazy, crazy in the head because people were doing cocaine. They were doing ecstasy, uh, speed, any kind of drug to keep them uh, alert or awake. Because if it, if it snows for 48 hours, you're on the road for 48 hours. Because in the contract, it says that the, you need to remove the snow in the, the driveway if there's more than five centimeters or something like that. So I tried it for another company. I understood I didn't want to do it. So at one point, I had acne. I had my biggest challenge with my life. And I had landscaping. I wasn't doing money in the winter. I was just working in the summer, no money in the winter. Winter, I was just chilling and uh, at school pretty much in architecture and studying. So at one point I said, let's, let's, let's do something and help both. So I ordered a CBD bottle from uh, United States and then in two weeks, it reduced my acne so much that I decided, okay, I'm going to start a business in Canada. And from that point, I created a supply chain from around the world and uh, connect everyone together. I made the design, found the, no, actually it's Reb that found the name. I was, uh, <laughs> yeah, I remember like it was yesterday. I was in the bathroom and I was like, 
ah, I need to find the name. No, no, no. And I was sketching like this is how I do every time I, I start a project. I just get a piece of paper and a pencil and I start sketching logos and names and then ideas. And I was like, I need to find a name that tells everyone that I want to improve this world and like uh, I want to help. And then she's like, yes, improve. And I'm like, yes, yes, I want to improve this world. And she's like, yes, improve. And I'm like, what are you saying? And she's like, improve. And I'm like, oh wow that makes so much sense yeah because, yeah, yeah because the the product is made from hemp and then i want to improve the world so we we called it my company hemproof so from that moment i start doing everything the product development took me six months and then we went live on instagram i did a little bit of promotion before that and the first year was crazy like i knew i was an entrepreneur because that's all i did all my life but I never made like lots, lots of money. I made good money. But that year was insane. Like uh, probably if I was a legal business, because I wasn't a legal business, I was completely illegal. But uh, everyone thought I was legal because it was so well organized and um, well done. If I was the legal business, probably I would be like in the in the magazine or the fastest growing company because that year we went from my investment of i probably put into the company to start it like around ten thousand dollars from the money that i was able to to make from the um, landscaping company and we went to almost half a million in in uh, one year all by myself no not all by myself i had it i had a team but i mean like uh, the team was so small we had a web developer and uh, maybe someone else helping around. Reb was helping me a lot around, but it was tiny, tiny, smaller than uh, five people. And we went just under half a million. But at that point, I continued doing it a little bit of hemproof. And uh, I saw lots of people contacting me saying how we change uh, their life from arthritis to insomnia to Parkinson. So for me, it was good. It felt like uh, I was helping this world. But eventually I got to a point where like I still own the company. The company is, is still working. We're still selling uh, products in Canada. But at one point it felt almost uh, dangerous first because um, I had no license. Like uh, I think it was called ACMPR license in Canada and all the big dogs in the cannabis industry. They were seeing me and they were like, what the fuck? This little kid like uh, is taking a piece of the cake and he doesn't have a license. So there's a journalist at one point. He didn't told me he was a journalist, but I almost got the jail. I think I almost got the jail because um, he contacted me on my cell phone and a couple a couple um, clients contacted me on my cell phone. I don't know how they found my number, but most of the time it was because of a friend of a friend of a friend gave the number. But that guy contacted me and usually when they contact me, I just answer and I answer their questions and then I hang up and that's it, like it's done. So this guy, he calls, he starts asking questions about the products, but eventually he gets too deep into the question. The questions are not about the products anymore, are not about the effects of CBD or in the cannabinoid system. Uh, he started asking about the company, like where it's where it's settled, for how long, blah, 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 blah. So, I start to be like, uh, like hesitant, like, yeah, who is this guy. 
So at one point he asked me, where is the company uh, registered? And I, and I, I don't know why, but I lied at that moment. It was the company, the corporation was a Canada Inc. So it was registered in Quebec. But I said, we are registered in Ontario because the laws were completely different. And I lived like five minutes away from Ontario. So I, I, for me, it was really an easy task. If I really wanted to, I could just get a PO box in Ontario, rent a little space, and then move the, the complete company to Ontario and then work with different laws. So I said that on the phone. Three days after, the biggest, yeah, I would say the, yeah, it's pretty much the biggest, the biggest newspaper in Quebec, they came out with a full um, news with my name in it. And then it's my ex, she, she tells me, Will, you should look at that. And then I start reading it and she got scared. She thought I was going to jail because it was saying that this young fellow from Quebec na, 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 is selling uh, cannabis products, saying all kinds of uh, statement, blah, 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 and not legal without any license but he is incorporated in Ontario and he says that he doesn't need license because he's in Ontario. So that ended right there because I think that's just my thought. I think the journalist didn't go further because I told him I was registered in Ontario because if he started to do some research in Quebec, he would have found that I am registered in Quebec. Wow. Yeah, so that, that was quite a funny story because at that moment, my ex and I, we were living in our office because um, we were lucky enough, or the, the grandfather of my ex-girlfriend of uh, Reb had like um, uh, buildings on a commercial street. So we were living in one of the space over there. And then my ex-girlfriend, uh, I shouldn't say my ex-girlfriend, Rebecca, uh, started a um, uh, leggings company also at the same time. So it was really similar to like uh, Hempproof because we were doing everything e-commerce. So she had leggings, I had CBD products. So we had like a warehouse fulfillment center. Also like our kitchen was there, our bedroom was there. So everything was at the same place. We were living in our office. So that relationship uh, lasted for three years. It was my only girlfriend in all my life. I had never had another girlfriend in my life because I was, I was, I am someone who doesn't want to take the time to learn someone if I know it's not serious. Like, I don't know if that makes sense, but. I mean, Jules is the only person who I've ever been with in my whole life. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, I, I don't even, I don't even want to learn about you if I don't feel it like, uh, because I know I, it will take times and energy. So if I don't feel it, if it doesn't, doesn't work, I won't even try it. I won't force anything. So um, now it's saying that my internet connection is unstable, but I know it's stable. You're coming through clear to me. Okay, that's fine. Okay, so then at that point, uh, did a lot of improve, uh, start doing calisthenics where I was eating better. I was eating lots of smoothies and um, training every day. Uh, improve was booming. And eventually like trying to just do the same thing over and over again. It was only Instagram, Instagram influencer, Instagram, Instagram influencer, little update on the website. 
refu um, rebatch the inventory, Instagram, Instagram influencer. So I got tired of it, but the company is still running and uh, people are still buying and enjoying the product. So I still like it, but the numbers are so low compared to my first year. Like the first year I was 21 years old and we did just under half a, half a million. I was, I was like, uh, not in a dream, but I, I was like, oh, wow, this is what money is. Like, this is that piece of paper that we're all working for. This is it. Like, uh, okay, now I have it. Like, if, uh, if you do like um, half a million and then there was some investors trying to buy my company or they wanted to invest or they wanted to um, uh, fuse with another company. And some of them were telling me my company was worth 2.5. Some of them were telling me my company was worth 3.5. So I don't really know how much it was worth, but it was worth lots of money. But now I'm getting to a point where I got money and uh, I, I don't know, it doesn't change anything. So I understand, ah, uh, so that's not the goal. I thought it was to make lots of money and have lots of money. And then you just don't know what to do with it. So now we, I get to a place where um, Reb and I split up. Uh, I think it was also a combination of everything, of me not having the passion for business side and my development was getting uh, more spiritual-sided uh, because I understood the capitalist lifestyle was just a, it's a trap. Uh, you can never get out of it if you fall too deep. And at one point, right before uh, Reb and I uh, broke up, there was an event that triggered an adventure. So I'm, I think I was, yeah, I was still doing landscaping. What? Okay, so now you see it's like, uh, maybe it was in the product development because when I was doing the product development of Hemproof, um, I was also doing landscaping at the same time. So I remember I was waking up at the same time every morning, like at 5.30, something like 6, like around that time, and then going in the shower and then going back uh, in my truck and then going to the shop. But that morning I woke up at 4, something like that. Usually uh, in the morning, I don't look at, at my cell phone. That morning, I don't know why, first thing I did was pick up my cell phone. Look at my cell phone. First thing I see on my cell phone is a video of my brother talking on a news channel. He's white, white, white and talking like uh, he's shaking. And then when I listen to the video, I start crying and I, and I just start the video. Like I don't even know what's happening, but my soul understood what was happening and I start crying. And then eventually I get to the part of the video where he says that he got into a big accident with his motorcycle. And I understood at that moment that I could have woke up this morning and my brother could have died and I would not have uh, had any time to say bye to him. So, um, so um, yeah, so at that moment, uh, my brother and I, we start talking about uh, near-death experience. And this eventually got us to talk more about the pineal gland, DMT, all psychedelics, and then start uh, reading books. And eventually, uh, when I split up with Reb, I was done with Gatineau and I said, I don't want to rent an apartment in Gatineau. 
So I went to Cali. I went to Cali for um, two months almost. And at that place, it's funny how the universe works. At that place, I meet a guy. This guy is from Peru. And then his father owns an hotel in Peru. And then we start talking about psilocybin, uh, DMT, and then Wasai Lounge in Peru. And then we scheduled a trip. I get back to Canada. And my brother and I, we get to Peru to this hotel. And we went into the Amazonian jungle and we did three ceremonies of ayahuasca. And I was never the same after that. And this is when my name switched from William to Wallace because I went into the jungle as William and I came out as Wallace and it was special because it wasn't my choice really. I came out and then everywhere we went in Peru, people were asking my brother and I like, what's your name? And I was like, uh, I'm William. And all the, the Peru, uh, Peruvian people, they were going like, Wallace, uh, or like, Libertad. And then I was like, what the hell is happening? Because in my ayahuasca sessions, uh, ceremonies, uh, the shaman uh, tells us to give the, like our thoughts after. And I said that after the first ceremony that I understood my purpose, I understood my why, why I was coming here onto this earth. And it was to give another option to the collective consciousness, because I feel like right now we don't have any other options. We are born into a hospital and then we're put into this monopoly lifestyle game of like making money and we're told what's good what's bad what's what's uh what you can do what you cannot do what's legal what's illegal so i i feel like i need to to give another option so then like i said i come out the jungle we go everywhere in peru and everywhere that i tell them that my name is william they say william wallace or they say wallace or they say so so like every place so at one point i was like okay that's it my name is wallace like uh i i didn't choose that and then i asked one guy when we were just about to come back to canada what i'm like what's that thing like uh, i'm telling everyone my name is william and everyone tells me my name is wallace so then he, he tells me it's from a movie yeah Do you know the you know the movie? Braveheart. This, this okay, movie. yeah. So I didn't know the movie. I've never watched the movie. But he told me that the the guy in the movie is trying to liberate his, uh, yeah, the his, people. his yeah. people. Like So for me, it was quite insane. It, it felt like, what? I want to give another option to the human consciousness, to the humanity. And this guy was trying to save his people. So it felt really like, okay, that's it. That's my name. And from yeah. that point, I just said, my name is Wallace and I like it because I don't know many people named Wallace and now everyone knows me as Wallace. I know a lot of, of William and I like Wallace. So then get back to Canada. When I got back to Canada and I lived that experience in the Amazonian jungle, I understood that my soul was really uh, powerful. And the shaman also told me this after the first ceremony. He said, I never saw a body like this. He says, uh, you're something special because the first ceremony, I like, uh, I was not surrendering at all. So I was like hot, cold, hot, cold. Uh, like you, you pretty much purge uh, nine times out of tens on the ayahuasca. But then uh, I had lots of difficulties just to, to surrender. But when I came back into my body or I got back into my sense, the first thing I told the shaman was, 
I am a god if I live like a god. And um, he was like, uh, okay, like he didn't speak English, but I told the guy this and then he told him, he told the shaman this in Spanish. So he said, yeah, you have a really special uh, body, like really strong body. So I got back to Canada and that's when it completely, like nobody could, could recognize me. Like my mother, my ex, they were like, you've changed so much. Like, who are you? And at that point, I was not driven by money. Everything that I was satisfied with before, I wasn't satisfied anymore. I wanted to go on the spiritual path. So then I started living in the basement of my, of my mother's house. I was paying rent over there. She had the little apartment. And I built two labs. I built a lab of energy. Like I was uh, building electricity technology, just experimenting and learning. And I built a mycology and biology lab. So I was growing also psilocybins. I was growing six different types of uh, psilocybins and um, doing uh, technologies in the garage. So then like from that point, I was just focused on gaining knowledge. I didn't care about money at all. I like I actually today in this present moment, I hate money, but money keeps following me. I hate money. It's so dangerous. That little piece of paper shit printed in a private company. It's just paper with symbols on it. And then we say, oh, that's worth that amount. It's anyway. promissory notes. They're not even backed by anything. It literally <laughs> it. it's it's a it's monopoly, but in real life. And um, so then I got back to Canada growing psilocybins and I understood that I, I knew how to put the set and settings for people to do like a little bit of work inside. So I start hosting ceremonies. People on Instagram, they, they started to, knew, to know me and uh, they were contacting me if they wanted to experiment with psilocybins. And uh, then uh, I was giving them instructions like not to uh, no meat, no dairy, no sex, uh, um, no cannabis, no drugs, like uh, for a week before the ceremonies. And then the ceremonies was in the forest. And then I was making a little fire. And then we were, I bought the Amex. So I was setting up everyone and we were doing ceremonies. That was a really, really, really good times. Oh, wow. Yeah. I remember I was doing so much psilocybins that, um, it's like uh, I missed that time. Like yeah, I felt so connected. Like I felt like a god. Like I could go on for days without eating, and then I was just like on my rock next to this fire, singing and talking to the fire, and seeing where the smoke was uh, uh, telling me to to look, and then looking at the stars, the the moon, and wow, that was awesome. But I I know I think I know I think what was what I was about to say. I know, or I think uh, I can get back to that state with the breath. I just need to get more serious about it and get more into nature. So then I started hosting ceremonies and uh, then COVID hit. And at that point, uh, like I said, I, I experiment a lot with uh, resonance, vibration, frequency. If people want to see this, they can go on my Instagram and look at my energy highlights you will see i was building technologies i was working with um uh, different different kinds of stuff i was working with a stator and a rotor from dishwashing machine 
And um, I was working with uh, some, uh, pumps from dishwashing machine, connecting them together. I, I was doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And um, that was really good time. COVID hit and I decided let's get out of the matrix. Now I just need to take uh, five minutes and I'll be back. Okay. No, two, two, two minutes. Okay, do your thing. And here I am. I just fill up the, the jar for my enema tomorrow. Oh, Nick, you're still there? Uh, maybe yeah, I'm Yeah. Okay, you're still there. I just wanted to pour. Yeah. <laughs> so then COVID hit. I decided to get out of the matrix because for me, it was way too clear what was coming. When COVID hit, I was actually in, um, I was already in Costa Rica because I, when I came back, I was hosting ceremonies and I felt like uh, I don't, I don't really like Canada. Like uh, I don't like the winter. So I went to Costa Rica and uh, COVID hit or hit. I think COVID was invented and I started doing some, uh, some research and I found that it was a complete hoax from the beginning. And uh, so I never trust that thing. Never, 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 never. At the beginning? At the beginning, bro. Like from the first day I heard about that shit, I was yep. about how it made no sense. Yep. And not worried. You should stop eating this. You should start breathing. You should start getting out in the sun. If you really care about your health, like, <laughs> do all yep. the things before you put a mask on and go to fucking a restaurant. Uh, so then for me, it was more like uh, I start I started doing research and um, – I was taking it, taking it like as if it was existing. So I was taking the data that they were giving us, like I did with the with the planet Earth. Like every ball Earth theorist will come to me and say, "Hey, Will, the Earth is not flat." Look, I know more of the ball Earth than you know. So like I I've looked at both sides. Like I can tell you a thousands uh, information about your ball earth that you don't even know about your ball earth. So I look at the da data that they give us, even if it's wrong, even if it's a lie, and I start working with it. So I did this with the COVID and from the information they were giving us, it was exactly the same as an exosome. So an exosome, yeah, it was the same outside diameter, same inside diameter, both found in the lungs fluid and both uh, react or interact with the ACE receptors. So I was like, this is a complete hoax and got back to Canada. Uh, I was three months in Costa Rica, got back to Canada. And then I thought I will not stay here for a long time because this shit is about just to get worse and worse. And then eventually the mask. And then when the mask happened, I was just laughing, but I was sad and I wasn't on co in control of my emotions because I was in that little town called Elmer and living in the basement of my uh, mother's house in that apartment. And um, everything was changing. Like the little restaurant, uh, beautiful organic vegan restaurant that I love so much closed. And then that little uh, organic grocery uh, was like crazy. Like they were crazy with the, the, that gel and then that mask. And I was like, man, let me live. Like I've, I've come yeah. here for years. And I've been like uh, paying so much and giving tips and making smile to everyone. Like, let me live. Everything was changing so quick 
that I, it was getting me mad inside. I was not in a good place uh, internally because my outside reality was changing so quickly, so rapidly, and I couldn't spread the knowledge of love uh, rapidly enough for people to understand what was happening. Or even, even people today, I can explain it perfectly to them. And if they're not uh, ready to understand it, they will not understand it. Yep. So it's quite crazy right now because it separated all my family, all my family. Like now I'm the, I was already the, the, the black sheep of my family because I was like so, so funny. And so like, uh, like, uh, like, how can I say this? Like unregular, like crazy. But now I'm not just crazy. I'm insane. I am stupid. I'm like, uh, like, <laughs> for them it doesn't make sense as soon as i start talking at, at the table um they go like we don't want to talk with you like uh, i'm too much so i decided okay maybe this is a, yeah maybe this is a sign from the universe to get alone on my spiritual path and i went i decided to go to nicaragua i went with a friend called jean sebastien and um he had a, his awakening also in Canada. Um, I don't know if he had his awakening before, but uh, he, he came to one of my ceremonies. So, um, and he says he was like, he understood tons of, th of things and he was really proud of it and grateful for, for me to, be, uh, to put the set in settings and hold the space for him. And uh, then we set out to Nicaragua to buy a land and to build a little civilization or little village so that's what we did we got there i got there at first and then um found a camioneta we went uh, into managua we bought the camioneta and then i continued doing the search for the land we found the land next to the lago de nicaragua so we bought a like a one acre land in nicaragua but at that place i was already deep in my spiritual journey so for me I was already doing my meditation. I was already eating one meal a day or less. And um, I was taking time to train every day. I wasn't drinking beer. I wasn't smoking. I, like I was really getting into that uh, process of like uh, de detoxing this body, this machine. But then when I'm with him almost 24 seven and he smoked cannabis, he wants to drink beer. He wants to eat breakfast. He wants to eat lunch. He wants to eat dinner. Um, like suddenly it gets a toll on you because you're with him. So I understood, oh no, my spiritual path, if I want to grow to my zenith, to my uh, full potential, I need to get alone. So we already bought the land. We already bought a, a car. Um, I also bought a motorcycle over there. So I told him I'm leaving, like uh, I'm getting on my spiritual path and I, you can keep the land, you can keep the, the car. So that's what, that's what we did. We split up in Nicaragua. You still have the land, you still have the car and uh, he's building over there with bamboo. I set up pretty much everything because I was speaking Spanish and he, he wasn't. So I found a, a bamboo company. I found the Bibero, um, like the place for botanics for the plants and the trees. And he's doing awesome work right now, building cabanas with the bamboo uh, garden. We built a really beautiful bamboo fence um, uh, at the entrance of the, the land, but it wasn't for me. 
for this moment. So I continue and then I took a bus from Nicaragua to Guatemala. I entered Guatemala, I visited Guatemala for five months, visited all the uh, ancient sites of the Maya civilization because um, that's one thing that you guys need to know. As soon as I came back from the Amazonian jungle, like I said, I wasn't focused on money. I was just focused on knowledge. And similar to you, I got interested in ancient knowledge right away. I, it felt like the best source of knowledge. The, the less corrupt source of knowledge was the ancient because I, I could look at the structure. They were still there and then analyze. But I went into the same path as you, like... Um, like uh, Nikola Tesla and then uh, aligning Nikola Tesla with the pyramids and then thinking, oh, the pyramids are energy channel and everything. But it's just part of the process, I think. You get into the ancient civilization, there's still lies in the ancient civilization and eventually you get to the high knowledge. This yep. is what I call high knowledge. It's like the information that 0.01% per, uh, percent of people have and it's completely different from the mainstream and it, it shocks people. And then I went to Guatemala for five months, visited all the Maya sites, and I arrived in Mexico like uh, a week ago, all with my motorcycle. And now I'm supposed to go and buy a motorcycle tomorrow. It's going to be a nice motorcycle this time. And I had only trouble with this other motorcycle. Holy fuck, <laughs> it was an adventure. So here I am in San Cristobal de las Casas, in front of this computer talking to Nick Caputo, my brother, and um, man, just enjoying this life, playing this life. And uh, like, I'm, I'm learning ton from you. Like you're so inspiring because for me now, it's like, I have knowledge. Uh, I love knowledge. I know I can learn knowledge. Uh, like uh, I, I trust myself. I have so much confidence in myself, but my biggest challenge right now it's my food addiction it's just it's this. so i know i'm on it like uh, everything else is just play and fun and this like i i know in life it's not all games and pleasure like uh, i i love the difficulties also i love the pain i love the obstacles and for me right now one of my challenge is my food addiction and i and not i'm not proud of it but i know i'm on the journey so that's fine there's no stress exactly. Yeah. And I mean, the breath work will take you there. The more you get into the breath, the less that you'll want the food, the more that, the more that you tart, like being aware of it, at least is step one. You know what I mean? Yes. Once you're aware of it, then it's just a process of going at your own pace to getting off it. You know, it's just like yeah. else. consistency is key, but those relapses are always going to happen. And once you get off it enough to go back and actually call it a relapse, each relapse yeah. is pretty much a lesson, a reminder of why you stopped in the first place. So it's like every single time that you go back, you're that much closer to never going back. So wow. every part of the process yeah. is perfect. And the <laughs> yes, exactly. That's what I say. All like perfection uh, is perfection. And sometimes uh -huh. the path forward may appear to be backwards, but it's still the path forward. Yes, yes, man. I really appreciate when you said that. And then there's my my other friend Johnny who contacted you, like uh, the the pro calisthenics guy. Like he's so okay, in control. Yeah, I've been talking. Yeah. Yes. So he, he posts something the other day, like he says, evolution is not like a road like this or going up, down, up, down. He says it's a circular uh, spiral. spiral. So when you look at the spiral that way, 
even if it's going forward, there's some ups and some downs in that motion forward. So it felt really like what you're saying. Sometimes it feels backward, but maybe you're just on the down of that loop going forward. Exactly. Exactly. So that was Fire like here that ends up up here. You yes. got to go back this way a couple times. Like <laughs> yes, back yes. Way, back this way before you <laughs> finally get there for the spiral. Yes, exactly. So right now I know I know I need to get a lot more serious with the breath work. Like now I'm really like passionate about yoga. Like my flexibility is getting so good. Yeah, yeah. I really love it. And uh, it feels like it's a combination of uh, breath work, but it's not intense breath work because I'm just like really with the breath when I'm doing it. Like every movement is is with the breath, like inhale, I go up and then exhale, I go down. But it's not like like eating. It's not like eating the breath or eating the air. I feel that. Yeah, yeah. It, it's definitely a little different. The sit down, eyes closed, like yep. or compared to the movement, like conscious breathing while you're moving. I mean, yes. being conscious of your breathing while you're moving will definitely make you a million times better athlete. Yes. But, um, it's definitely different than totally. Yeah, it's definitely different. It's sympathetic exactly. rather than parasympathetic. Mm. So you see, just this knowledge, like I need to know more about it because I heard you talk about it, and uh, I don't, I don't understand really the the, the difference. Yeah, honestly, you just take the boot camp, because yeah, yeah, like, I think I think that would be the best. It's it's packed with information, dude. Like there's so yes. much information in there. Nine different breathwork sessions, and each day there's a different topic. So one of the days wow. is completely devoted to parasympathetic versus sympathetic. Like the, what mm. you're is what slow breaths versus fast breaths. And then there's another day that's specifically dedicated to the yin and yang. And that ties into the parasympathetic and sympathetic too. And yin yang oh. set of nostrils and the sides of the body, yes. right and left brain and how it affects everything, you know? So there's a whole day on that and a whole day specifically on fast and slow breathing. And then there's wow. another day on building muscle without food. There's another day on sleep. Um, let me think off the top of my head. I don't know. There's, there's, there's nine days worth of topics, but those yes. are definitely in there. So Lots of knowledge. Okay, yeah. I need to get into this yeah. because I used to do like um, when I was in Canada and I had my lab and all I was doing is like waking up, learning mycology and then the energy. And then I was training. I used to do like, um, I call it my six step activation. I was like, training to make my body sweat and then stretching and then I was going into breath work but it wasn't a big breath work it was just like getting super relaxed and then I was controlling the breath perfectly in my body and putting it right here and then squeezing my abs so then the breath was kind of pushing on my pineal gland and I was getting to another dimension I was falling all the time or then I was falling in front. So I, I start doing it uh, laying back down because as soon as I uh, feel like it was connecting to my pineal gland, all my sense were activated. I was earing the birds. I was earing the wind. I was earing the leaf. And then it felt like uh, I was still here in that same place, but I was somewhere else uh, when I opened up my eyes again. Yeah, so, it's like DMT. <laughs> Yes, exactly. So I loved it so much and I was consistent. But now, like, um, maybe it's an excuses that I that I make up for myself, but I'm moving so much 
that it's quite hard to keep on that routine. When I was in Canada for a full year at the same place, going to bed at the same place, waking up, knowing everything. Now I'm just like three weeks here, a week there, two days there, there. And I'm just like always moving. The environment always changed. Maybe it's an excuses that I'm making up for myself. Is it an excuses you're making up? Kind of, yeah. Yes. But the best, the best advice I can give you for keeping <laughs> the routine, despite yeah. like no matter how hectic life can be, yeah. make it the first thing that you do in the morning before you do anything as like a non-negotiable. Like no matter what, I don't do anything with my day until I get at least three rounds of healing sounds in. Like in wow. like a 20 minute session minimum, like no yeah. matter what. And some days when I, when I wake up and I don't have something specific I need to do, I'll spend an hour. I'll put two hours into a session, but no matter what, I'm putting at least 18 breaths in 18 sounds. Wow. And you'll learn the sessions that I do in the boot camp If you do it. Yep. Is it, is it, you do the three, six, nine in the morning or what? Um, it depends. Usually the three, six, nine is like a midday thing. That's like, okay. if I got a, if I'm sitting at the beach in the middle of the day and I'm like, all right, let me crank out a couple breaths. I'll do the three, six, yeah. nine for that. Because um, I love yeah. first thing in the morning and last thing before bed is usually just two mo like holding on the exhales, holding on the inhales as long as I can, and then letting okay. sounds. And at night, I don't hold on the inhales because it's it's more of a sympathetic response rather yep. than sympathetic. So at night, I only hold on the exhales and then I inhale, let out with the sounds. Only hold on the exhales and then inhale and let out with the sounds. You mean exhales? You exhale with the sound? Exactly. Interesting. Wow. The sound is and the exhale, and then you hold with nothing it's left. It's so connected to yoga because, like in the book that I'm reading right now, the Sutra of Patanjali, they say like uh, first you do your asanas, so it's like the position to like open up everything, and when you open up everything in your body, you get to pranayama. So it's like uh, this is when you get to the big work of uh, breath. So it, it's connected. Yeah, of course, yoga is very aligned with with breatharianism too oh, totally. yes like a lot of the ancient yogis were breatharians it's yes yes the very basics i mean eventually like to even get to the point where you're mastering the asanas they're breatharian at that point like it's part yeah. of the yamas and the niyamas to clean out the body and get into the breatharian state it's like literally the first two pages <laughs> of the eight it's so funny you say that yes yeah breatharianism is one of the it's it's the first and second limb of the eight limbs of Patanjali. Uh -huh. And then you get into the asanas once you're already clean. Then you get into the pranayama. Then you get into the pradyahara, which is that um, sensory deprivation, that feeling when you hit when you get the DMT trips. Yeah. And then I forget what the other two are. And then you get the samadhi, which is the eighth. But they're like yes. that eye floater, and you, you stare at the eye wow. floater when you're in that meditation. Yeah, I've I've studied potentially. Yeah, I can tell, man, because it's funny. All the words you say, it's like it's right there in my book. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I also read, um, I'll send it to you. It's called The Four Chapters of Freedom. It was recommended to me by my boy, uh, Nick Abushadi. He put me onto it. And it's kind of like a, it's like an analysis of, of the, the yoga sutras. So it's, nice. uh, it's like a little, it's like, it's a commentary. So it goes into each verse and also just talks about it in a little more detail. Wait, wait, what's the name? Because maybe this is my book. It's called The Four Chapters of Freedom. <laughs> yeah this is the That's book that I yeah great fucking book dude
<laughs> yes, it's really good. Like there's so like I get I get a little bit lost. Like um, they use so many terms in Sanskrit. Like yeah, it's and, a lot. It's a lot. It's like impossible to memorize all of it from reading it. Yes, yes. So like I read it, and then there's some chapters that I'm like, wow, man. And like the, there's one chapter when they, they talk about the breath of the turtle, the snake, the human, the dog, and I was like, what? This is exactly what is saying like uh, the human has uh, average take around like 15 breaths a minute and then the dog is like at 32 and then the snake is like at five or eight and then the the turtle is like at three and then the difference it's insane the dog lives for 12 years the humans live for a hundred years and then the snake for like a thousand years and then the turtle for like five thousand years it's like what that's only with the breath yeah and that's literally just the breathing rate like and i mean yes. we're designed to live so much longer than people oh that that's why i, I said this because uh we're I, not like, supposed to die and we're no, also exactly. not supposed to take 15 breaths per minute either no exactly this is average of someone thinking they are healthy yeah exactly i mean on average you should be taking less than less than 10 breaths per minute less than 10 yeah i mean whenever you're sitting down like whenever you're not like, you know, your breath pattern will get faster when you go for a run, when, yeah. you, you know, when you go for a walk even, but you can keep your breath slow when you go for a walk, but mm -hmm. like, you know, surfing or, you know, climbing a tree or doing yeah. handstands, whatever it is, like, you know, you're, you're using your body, you're being, you know, active and athletic, your breath is going to go faster because the friction between your organs is going to create heat. And then your body will naturally breathe faster to cool down the internal core because when you um, when you breathe fast, you basically starve the internal organs of blood and send the blood to the muscles and the skin. Mm -hmm. So when you breathe faster, you cool down the internal core temp to account to basically balance out that heat from the friction of the organs. And that's yep. you know when the when the organs are swollen, you have that friction. The organs really shouldn't be swollen and shouldn't be creating that much heat from activity like that. Sure. But from there, I mean, whenever you're not doing that. <laughs> you shouldn't be breathing like you're getting chased by a bear when you're sitting on the couch. You should be taking less than one breath per minute whenever yes. you're not being athletic. Yes, yes. But we work on the computer. We stress about thinking. We're preparing food. We're fucking guzzling food down and not thinking about breathing. All these things that just, you know, are are shallowing and speeding up the breath unnecessarily for no reason. It's like you should either be doing something athletic and breathing fast to compensate for the organ friction heat, or yep. you should be slowing yep. down and recharging in the parasympathetic yes. nervous system. Like I think that way also. Yeah. So we don't recharge uh, enough and that's why we don't, you know, why we don't live as long as we should. And also we're poisoned in every fucking way possible from the tap water to the food, yes. to the, to the ideas of ourselves, to the thoughts, to the programmed insecurity, to all of it. It's all, we, we talked about, um, how, how, <laughs> how I talk about pride as the, the one disease yes. that causes all the disease. Did we talk about that with the recording on, or did we talk about that? No, the recording was up. <laughs> all right. So I guess I could just talk about it again, because it's relevant yes. to the conversation. Um, so pride being like, lusting for the idea of yourself and identifying with the physical body or lusting for the idea of yourself being the physical body. So when you are 
identifying with the body, you're limiting yourself to just the physical body and kind of ignoring being ignorant of the fact that everything else in the external is a reflection of the internal and that everything is you. So if you identify as nothing, you identify as everything. And if you identify with the physical body, you act like you're nothing outside the physical body. And this is a disease in itself. It's dis-ease. You're not at ease when you think that you're only one thing and that you lack what something else has. Like the story of Genesis, like we were saying with the uh, Adam and Eve with the apple, about how she was able to be convinced that the apple had something to offer her that she didn't already have. Like, all right, I'm going to eat this fruit. This fruit knows something that I don't. This fruit's going to teach my body something that it doesn't already know. And that kind of lack, that illusion of separation, that like, you know, Nick is not Wallace and that Wallace is not the wall and that the wall is not a fruit. And like this whole thing, not the interconnectedness of everything. And that everything is literally just dark spots and light spots and different arrangements that give us you know, different densities of arrangements that give us different forms of solidity or liquidity in matter or, you know, different colors or fre frequencies of anything. It's literally just all dark spots and light spots. It's all this computer simulation yes. in, different, in different form. Like we were saying um, with the brick example about how proteins um, well, most proteins and uh, fats and cholesterol and sugars and ketones are all mm. the same shit. They're all carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen in different arrangements. They're basically like all, like a brick. Like you got a bunch of red fucking bricks and you can build those bricks into a house. You could build them into a museum. You could build them into a shed, into a garage, into, uh, into a wall, and a fireplace, a stove, whatever you want. It's it's all still a bunch of fucking bricks, but you call it something different because it's used for something. So it's the same thing with, with those things. It's, they're all carbon, hydrogen, and nitrogen, oxygen in different arrangements. And it's just red bricks being used for different shit. Yes. Yes, it's um, so impressive. Identifying with the body, when, going back to that, because I didn't really finish that thought um, with the pride thing. When you identify with the body, you can experience lack. I mean, 3D. the 3D is hell in the first place it is um the pain plane or the separation station yeah. um where we can experience yeah. we can experience the illusion of lack and and use the physical body to you know touch things and see things and hear things yeah. that we don't think are us but they are us and it's a beautiful experience we get to play this video game that we created you know how we talk about how divine the creator is and how he intelligently designed all of this it's you you are the creator that designed all of this and you decided to play the game that you created and you still continue to create the entire game as time, whatever time is goes on. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And yeah. Time, time. I think we will talk a little bit about time when we talk yeah. about the, the stars, the moon, the sun. Because... Spiral, just like, just like evolution is a spiral. Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you, if you don't identify with the body, you can't, you can't, believe in the lack. lack and then when yes. you see that you lack something that allows you to take on things that you don't need because you think you lack them and that's where we run into dehydration which is where we run into every other disease <laughs> and if you want to learn about dehydration you go read the books of nick caputo yeah if you want to learn I got cancerous dehydration and heart dehydration <laughs> out right now I like that all the titles are <laughs> cancerous yeah. dehydration yeah.
I really could. And then after that, I'm going to write dehydration with pride. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, this is the final chapter. It's like the boss at the end. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. It's like, all right, all of these diseases that you've heard of are dehydration, but dehydration is pride. What is it? Yeah. And it, it all comes from, you know, like even people that are pursuing this journey still, it's, it's pretty much one of the last lessons that you'll learn. Um, yes. That you, that you'll really learn. And I mean, like the, I'm, the I'm this as much as anyone else. And I, I, I'm not particularly a fan of when people misinterpret me as thinking that I'm up on this pedestal above everyone else on this journey, because I'm not, I'm still here too. And I'm still dealing with this and I'm speaking from experience and from learning from people who have more experience than me. Um, in this journey to self-realization yeah it's you know I'm I'm here with you guys I'm identifying I I catch myself identifying with my body too you know what I mean so I get it but it's like you know somebody will be like how do I build muscle on a breatharian lifestyle or a fruitarian and it's like you're this is like very very surface level very beginner level yes um, it's not to knock or demean anyone who's at that point in the journey but um, it is rather to just acknowledge that that is the very beginning of the journey. That if you're still yes. focused on whether yes. or not you can build muscle, and if you're still focused on whether or not you can obtain or maintain a specific aesthetic, doing a specific thing, you're yeah. not really you're not really going into it for the right reasons. No, exactly. And I mean, the answer more. to those questions is yes, you can still maintain the aesthetic, and you can look yeah. better than you did eating whatever bullshit you were eating. Um, yeah. But that's not the point. And yeah. In, in the yoga sutras, it's, it's stressed as well that these, you know, once you're in the breatharian state and you go through the asanas and you can master an asana, you know, most of them, they only train one asana specifically to stay in the same position for like three something hours. And, yeah, long. and then once you can do that, you know, you've met, you've come to this realization and you can go deeper into the breathwork, into the meditation. And at that point, um, you get kind of other abilities where this is where like the telepathy and the lighting stuff on fire with your eyes and levitation and like serious astral projection and a bunch of stuff that people think is impossible. That is definitely absolutely utterly possible. I mean, especially levitation, it's literally just buoyancy. If you know, Uh talk about this in another thing that gravity is a bullshit thing. Um, And that it's like atmosphere is basically just less dense water it's air is just water at a lower density. So mm-hmm. if you're going to sink in the water, it means you're denser than the water. And if yes. you're sinking in air, it means that you're denser than the air. So these dudes in the breatharian state that are seriously into these energy cultivation practices becomes less dense than the air to the point where they can float and levitate. Yeah, and it's, it makes total sense. Yes. And yes. It's just not difficult. And people from their emotional standpoint of being slaves to emotional escapism urges and tools of emotional escapism can't see that as possible because they don't see it possible as being able to feel their own shit and being able to really (laughs) tap into that. And the whole point of why I got into this is that when like in the yoga sutras, they talk about how, when you get these abilities, when you're, when you find yourself able to levitate or able to light stuff on fire or whatever, and these are things that you don't just magically figure out how to levitate you learn it and you train it and you focus and there's a lot more to it than just figuring it out Um, there's a lot of high knowledge in in the yoga the ancient yoga stuff but point is is to not be distracted 
by those abilities and to identify as the guy who can do them and be the celebrity who can levitate because this that's pride. That's not the point. That is pride. And that will throw you off your path. And the wow. whole point is to be able to experience these supernatural, superhuman things and to not let them distract your journey because these are distractions that are like last resort to try to keep you to identify with the physical. Wow. And that would be probably why most of the Breatharian, they're not living in the society. Exactly. They're pretty much in cave or in mountains. They don't care. They don't have that cell phone. They don't have that computer. Yeah. And they realize that their own self journey to self-realization is the best thing that they can do to help the collective. The best thing yeah. they can do to help the world is to leave it the fuck alone and help yeah. yourself. Literally, though. Yes, yes, yes. I told, I tell everyone about that. Like, I have, I have friends in this civilization. Like, like I, I already told you. Like, every project that I can see in my mind, I can make it happen. So then, there are some people in Canada that that they they know me. Like, uh, they know William, the entrepreneur that can make any project. So they go, let's help the humanity by doing this and that. And I go. No, help the humanity by helping yourself, evolve yourself, and then we will help the humanity. You, we don't have to build something for the humanity. You bring yourself to your highest potential, to your highest consciousness, and you are helping the world as the best that you can do. Exactly. And that's yeah. why I'm creating the courses and the books the way that I am. They're not really for everyone else. They're for me. I have every book I've ever written printed out in my house. And physical copy and they're my favorite books and I reference them when I can. <laughs> yes. and it's, it's it's a collection of my knowledge my thoughts my flows that yes. put them in physical form so I can never allow life to let me forget or allow <laughs> you know my own fucking toxic behaviors to let me forget um it's really it's fun and it allows yes. to flow and be creative and writing is food for me like creating mm. is food you're either creating or you're consuming So mm -hmm. like for me, it's like, oh, wow. yeah, <laughs> so I prefer to yeah, write. I need to keep that. Yes. Yeah, so and it's, it's basically so like me documenting my own journey and my own downloads. And then if the world wants to receive those downloads, they can buy the courses, they can buy the yeah. book. You know, I love making the courses because the courses are fun. I get to go out into the beach and record myself doing breath work in the tropics under palm trees. And then I get to hire a music producer to make some really dope ass music. And I get to edit the videos along to the music and, and yes. with the music producer and put together these audio tracks and this yes. stuff. Like it's I'm making courses for me. Like art. I haven't, like I'm releasing the how to breathe course soon. Like very, very soon. It's, it's completely done now. And I'm just nice. waiting for my website to be up to release it. And Well I do breathwork to my own tracks. I wanted to create the, the guided audio experiences because I want to fucking listen to them. Like mm -hmm. when you do the Aum sounds, like when you breathe, you go. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the sessions where that's the sound for every single breath. Mm -hmm. when you do this with a group of people, you'll find that when you find a harmony with everyone's voice, when you're all kind of on the same note or the same pitch, It's like a whole different ball game where like you, did it. Yes. like you can hear like almost like subtle additional frequencies in the frequency oh. get like other beats in it. It's like, yeah, you can like feel it through your whole body. So what I did was on this next track, this is the level two breathwork one that I'm talking about now. So the level one is coming out soon. And then we okay. just started working on level two, but we just, I just finished my voice for the first track, which is the two mo with the owls. 
And nice. what I did was I recorded my voice multiple times. So I did the ahoms and then I put headphones in and recorded myself doing an ahom to the ahom. And then I recorded oh, wow. myself again doing an ahom to both ahoms. So yeah. there's three versions of me doing the same sound in harmony and it sounds crazy. Yes. So you do the session, it sounds like you're doing the sounds with three of me at once. Uh huh. No, I, I can relate to that because I experimented in Guatemala. Like uh, I was tuning my home to like the other people in the room. And eventually like all my head start to, to vibrate and the sounds sound different. Like uh, it gets way more powerful and everyone in the room can, can tell me after they go, You've, you've changed something, right? And I say, yeah, I was just tuning my own to meet you guys because I, you can just do it differently and then uh, it doesn't do anything because everyone is so different. But then eventually you tune it a, a little bit instead of going, um, you go, oh, and then suddenly room is start, it start to vibrate with everyone. Else. Yes. Yeah. And then, <laughs> I mean, you can even take that a further notch and fig, like find other notes that are in harmony. And I'm, I'm just getting started with studying music theory. Uh, I'm super fucking interested in music and I really want to- Yes, same for me. Sounds sounds and resonance is a subject that I want to dive in. To be, I need to be aligned with and educated on in order for my, yep. the Caputo method to be holistic, you know? Yep. Um, it's, yep. I can't leave out music when I have other things. So it's going to be, it's going to be part of it. It's like the one thing so far that I'm missing that I haven't, I mean, there's things that I still need to research more on, but though that's one thing that I really want to dial down with is music theory and figure out um, different experiment with different notes. I mean, I do this intuitively now, but I don't understand it enough to replicate it, yep. to verbalize it. But like specific ones where like you can, like I have a good ear for music, but I don't know how to read music or write music or like, yeah. that. like I can't sing a note and tell you what note it was, but I know what sounds good or what. So like, <laughs> like when me and Jules are doing our breath work and we do the sounds together, um, we kind of mess with sounds and like we hit different notes. And then like eventually sometimes even at different notes, we harmonize and we're like, yo, you were, you were hitting the low and I was hitting the high, but that shit was crazy. <laughs> like, so certain ones, like eventually you find that, um, that harmony. Yes. Yes. And uh, I will send you something because when I was in uh, Canada and just like, um, researching i was researching all ancient souls so it, there was like uh, victor uh, schoberger victor uh, gribenikov and then uh, they uh, dan a davidson and then there was a uh, richard lynn john keely uh, nikola tesla and many other uh, ancient soul and there was one guy uh, it's it's in the past but not that far and he was healing people with uh, frequency, so with hertz. And he found all the disease. I guess he didn't know that the, they were all the same, but he, he had a machine or maybe the narrative told us that he had a machine. I don't even know if it was real. Like now I don't even believe that Tesla existed. But uh, like he had a machine and he tuned it to a certain hertz. It was in the kilohertz. So it was like thousands, hundreds of thousands of hertz. And he was able to heal a certain person with a sound. But those sounds, we don't, we cannot hear them because we can only hear from uh, something to 20 hertz to 20 kilohertz. 
So everything uh, above is an um, ultrasound and everything under is a infrasound, I think. And yeah, um, yeah so that, that's... Into that higher sensitive state, you can hear more stuff. Like in the brain, yeah, I was that's able to hear a lot more different sounds that I never yes. to hear before. But if you go and see like my highlight of uh, energy and you see that little technology that I've built over there, I'm sure that I was producing a really high uh, resonance that I still don't know because I don't have the equipment because it's like really high um, cost, like high cost equipment to because you can build something, you can build technology and you know it's it's working, but then you need to understand how to tune it. And this is all sounds. And it's like, fuck, if you don't have the technology to tune it, like you tune your guitar, you never know if it's uh, proper, uh, properly um, organized or uh, tuned to, to use. Yeah. Mm. Interesting stuff. Yeah, well, intriguing stuff. It's not intriguing. It's not bringing us into resting. <laughs> mm. Okay, I need to stop using that word. I know. I I, I catch myself every every now and then. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many words. Sometimes, sometimes I I use a lot. Like uh, it's just like it's just da, 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 da. and then I say, why the fuck is I put just? It's not just that. It's like. Uh, I don't know why I use just. It's a tiny word, but it's useless. It's not just that. It's that, 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 that. Yeah, that. yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm so programmed. No sense. Like, yes. instead of saying a lot of, we say, like, mad. Like, I got mad grapes. Or, like, I got, I got <laughs> mad mangoes. Yeah, so, yeah. Mangoes, and it's like, are they angry? yeah those feel like hell like why is it hella like i don't know like all these slang words don't make any sense yeah and depending from where we can we come from we have different slang and it's like a, a lot of work to remove some words like right now i would say let's uh, if i talk in french i'm super conscious of every word i say because it's my first language so i've practiced it and every word i say like when i talk in french with someone just in a conversation it sounds almost poetic it sounds like i'm rapping almost because i make my words rhymes with each other because i know that if i'm able to spread a certain message with rhymes inside it will go deeper into the soul of the other person and will stick longer into his computer so when i speak yeah. in french it's so nice but then i go in english and i'm not that um, used to speaking in english so i make lots of mistakes with my words that's, that's how i am with english my yes. english is my wordsmithing language yes i i write very poetically and yes i oh i love writing and i like if there's one thing that i will remember a lot from this life is when you said we're either consuming or creating and i found this like so true because now when i look back at all my actions every time i'm in the artistic mode i'm not consuming i'm yep. creating and i i'm not thinking of consuming I'm just creating. It could be writing poems. It could be sketching. It could be suing. It could be anything creating my website, anything. Yeah, I'm not consuming. So I will focus on that a lot. Thank you, brother. Love that. Yeah. So, yeah, I think uh, pretty good to wrap it up on this one. <laughs> I don't know how long we've been on here. There's no timer, but it's. Yeah, me neither. But it was on. Awesome. Hours. Um, yeah, probably. 
Um, for everybody listening, thank you for coming in. Grateful for everybody. Thank you, Wallace, for sharing the space with me and sharing the story. So for everybody who has just listened to this entire podcast, we have now told you about us and now you've gotten to know us and where we come from and who we are and a little bit of our philosophy and some extra fun information. And now in future episodes, in the next episodes, of this podcast, we are going to get into some serious high knowledge. Um, two, two topics yes. we're definitely going to get into in two of the next, not sure which one we're going to do first. One yep. is pyramids, the real use of the pyramids in Egypt. And the other one is the nature of our universe that is not a spinning ball. <laughs> I know it is not. Brother, thank you so much for your time. Awesome conversation like usual. Thanks for all the knowledge you share with me tonight. Of course, my friend. Thank you again, everybody, for coming in. This is the Grub from the Garden podcast. My name is Nick Caputo. You guys are all invited to check out the Instagram at Grub from the Garden. The best grub in the garden is the air and the sunlight. Check out the Caputo Method on YouTube, the Caputo Method on TikTok and Twitter. Wallace, you want to share any of your platforms for people to find you? Yeah, 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 yeah. You go on Instagram, you go Wallace Spirit, and you go on YouTube, you go Wallace Spirit. And then uh, YouTube, you'll see tons of Maya sites. Uh, I will start posting them in July, so in a couple days. And uh, Instagram, you'll just uh, make sure to look at my highlights, energy, because you'll understand how crazy I am. You can look also at mycology. Look at a little bit of the highlights because it's a lot of uh, knowledge of who I am. Nice. All right. So you heard it here, folks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that is it for this episode. We'll see you guys in the next one. Again, this is the Grow from the Garden podcast. Thank you, everybody. Much love. Peace. Adios, hermano. Buenas.